All right, Justin. A through Z. F. Let's go with that. I don't think we've ever had an F on here. So I don't think go. we've ever had an F on here either. Um, I ain't got shit for an F. Uh, let me Any news on a fast, fast 10? <laughs> <laughs> the only news I have for fast 10 is actually a spoiler. Oh, because essentially the studio intentionally leaked a spoiler. So I, I, I actually already know the mid credit sequence. Oh wow! Yeah, it, it's it's definitely a, it's something they they leaked to drum up excitement to get people to watch it. Hmm. Yeah. So that's about all they got. I mean, uh, I have some slight news on Fast and the Furious fr- uh, franchise. That's a lot of Fs. Um. They're now doing three movies to end it. It's three now? Yeah. I thought it was going to be a one and a two. It's three? It's three now. It's not going to be. They need three. It's not going to be Fast 1, Fast 2, or Fast X1, Fast X2, Fast X3. At this point, it's just Fast 10, Fast 11, Fast 12. And you also can't say that this is the last of it. Because there's two more movies now. So you're just even, you're ending on 12. Just say that. Yeah, like, <laughs> you know, you're, wow. I mean, that's it. Like, you know what I mean? Like, be real about it, guys. Don't be like, oh, we're coming to the end. No, it's going to be just three movies. Even if they kind of like are telling a long continuation of this story. Guess what? That's what a franchise and a saga is. So it's just three more. It, you know, it's just two more movies. I mean, that's what it is. Uh, I mean, I guess some more news. It's not quite an F, but it's an E. That's close to an F. Uh, the MCU TV series Echo is actually going to release all its episodes on one day. Interesting. Okay. Really? Yeah. Okay. They're not going to drag it out over multiple weeks. I think it's at the end of November, like right around Thanksgiving. They're just dropping all the episodes for Echo. Okay. I wonder what the decision behind that was. It almost, to me, makes me think they don't have faith in it. Hmm. Or This probably has nothing to do with it, but I know that the lead in that is pregnant now, so. Um, yeah, um. It also could just be that they like want to capitalize on Thanksgiving. Cause I want to say it's like November 26th is when it drops. So maybe they just want that to just have a lot of people watching fucking Disney plus over the holidays or something, you know, hmm. kind of like what Netflix did with Wednesday. Yeah, that's possible. Yeah. And because, you know, Netflix was able to do that right around Thanksgiving and people were able to just, you know, with their families, everybody's just able to sit there and watch all of fucking Wednesday right then. You got a lot of views. So maybe they're looking to do that. True. 
outside of that, that's the only things I could think of that they would possibly mean to do with that. What else? Um, yeah, that's really all I got right now. It's been a very slow week for stuff because, and I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that there's that writer strike. Yeah, that's what I was thinking too. Same. So, I I know one thing we can talk about real quick, Justin. Uh, you on your on your own Facebook, you released like a little mini poll about comic book movie trilogies. Yes, that was kind of fun. And I was just wondering if there were anything from that poll like that stood out to you. Well, um, just in light of the third Guardians coming out, I just sort of got to thinking about, hmm, what do I think the best comic book trilogy is? So... I listed what I thought were all of the three movie trilogies. Uh, who knows if I'd left something out. I don't think I did. I think I listed them all and just sort of uh, left it up to a poll and just kind of asked people, what do you think the best one is? And there were definitely some interesting answers. Like I, I, I was shocked that I got somebody to say Wolverine. I did not think I would get a single vote <sighs> for the Wolverine trilogy. So that was pretty damn shocking. If anybody has been keeping track of us since our, our days of writing reviews, you will know I am not a fan of the movie Logan. But even if we were just to take into account the most of the rest of the world liked Logan, and, and and a lot of people liked The Wolverine. You still have one of the worst comic book movies of all time in Wolverine Origins. <laughs> it's not even that it was just okay or bad or anything like that. It is one of the worst. Almost universally so. I mean, the only redeeming thing that movie has is its opening credits. And Which I'll is actually you, up there. Oh, yeah. With it's, opening that's credits. a top-tier opening credit scene. Yeah, for <laughs> yeah, sure. I'll give it that. It easily wins it the title of best opening credits, worst movie combination. It's so crazy, but it's absolutely true. And the sad thing is, is it's almost instantaneous. This movie has amazing opening credits, and within 30 seconds of the movie... It's already terrible. So, yeah, it's, 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 that's a weird one. I'm, I'm right there with you, Justin. I saw that and I was like, is it though? Like, is it? Is it? <laughs> yeah, that was, th- that might have been the strangest one. I was also very surprised at how many people, and maybe I shouldn't have been surprised, but dark the Dark Knight trilogy got quite a few votes. And 
some of that, I wonder, is it because people love one movie so much? And maybe that goes with the person who said Wolverine. And I think, Heather, you brought this up when we were kind of texting back and forth on it. Do people just love one or two movies so much that they forget about that third one? (laughs) Or they forget about that one that wasn't so good or the two that weren't so good? Do they just have such a fandom for that one film that they think is just the best or excellent that they just say, forget everything else that happens. This is the best trilogy. Like, yeah. Cause I feel like for me, like the dark Knight would have been in the running if it weren't for the first movie. I was not a huge fan of the first one, but I did like the second and third ones. Yeah. I think you're right. Cause I feel like if somebody loves one of the movies, then they're just going to, of course, automatically go with that is like the best trilogy. You know what I mean? Like, and that's, see, and that's why it was so hard for me to to decide what my favorite would be because if we're talking consistency of how much I enjoyed all of them in the trilogy, I might have to go Spider-Man or I might have to go Guardians. For me, um, Captain America would be close, but like, the first one was not my favorite, but the the last two were so good that it almost cancels out the first one. <laughs> so it's just like, there's so many factors to put into like why you would choose one. But I think you're right. I feel like a lot of people are like, this is my favorite movie of all time. Therefore all of the, the whole trilogy is amazing. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I, I really think that's how people were answering. And yeah, I, I kind of tried to look at it the same way you did. Just what, which did, which of the ones did I think were just the most consistent throughout the three movies? And that was sort of what I tried to do. But yeah, I just think a lot of people probably just voted that way. Oh, I love Winter Soldier, so therefore it's got to be the the Captain America trilogy, or oh. I yeah. love the Dark Knight, so it's got to be this. Or maybe they just forgot how, <laughs> like, questionable some of the movies were. You know, I think sometimes, you yeah. know, this because we're pulling from memory and stuff like that. So th- there is that. Um, X-Men, the X-Men ones didn't get any votes. Uh, um, not Which one got the and- most? Probably, I I didn't count it, but if I were to just say off the top of my head, probably the ones mentioned the most, the the three mentioned the most, were probably Dark Knight, Spider-Man, and Captain America. Of my answers, those were probably mentioned the most. Now, some of that could be, and Guardians was mentioned a little bit here and there. Now, Now, some people said they hadn't seen the third Guardians movie. So that could be a factor there why more people weren't like, yeah, Guardians. And Guardians is going to be the most fresh on people's mind with the third movie out in theaters now. So, you know, there are factors like that, I think, that that played into it. But those are probably the three that I saw mentioned the most. Um, No Blade votes, no... And I don't know, when you're talking about three mo- these three movie trilogies, there are some that are just so like, 
bad, <laughs> like not good. Like there are just some that really stand out as like not good. And then I think there are a handful that really are like in the argument, you know, regardless of what you think one is, there's probably three or four of them that should prop that, that should definitely be on your list. Like, I don't see how they just not, you know? Well, I think, I think a lot of it is, is a lot of them fall apart in the third movie. I mean, yeah. the original X-Men trilogy falls apart in X3. The reboot X-Men trilogy falls apart in X-Men Apocalypse. Uh, yeah. The original Sam Raimi Spider-Man falls apart in Spider-Man 3. Blade mm-hmm. falls apart in Blade 3. Mm-hmm. So many trilogies fall apart in the third movie. I mean, the look at the original Christopher Reeve Superman movies. They started going downhill in the third one. Yep. So many, you know, think about the, the the original Batman ones, whenever Batman Forever came out. And, yep. you know, it's slightly unfair because that is shouldn't be really viewed as the third movie in a trilogy, but at the time it was, you yep. know, so it gets thrown out whenever it's a new director, new writer, new Batman, 90% of the movie's new. And they're like, oh, but it's the worst of the trilogy until, you know, Batman and Robin came out. So it's one of those things where it's really tough because so many trilogies, especially in superhero movies, fall apart in the third one. So many of them do. And I think that that's the hardest hill to overcome, you know, and I think that that's why something like Blade isn't getting any votes. Now, the X-Men are getting votes. Sam Raimi Spider-Man's aren't getting votes because their third movies are just recognizably bad. Yeah, just so bad that it's almost it's unforgivable. Like even when even if you're like with some of these later ones like Dark Knight or even like let's just say you didn't like, you were down on Spider-Man No Way Home. Even if you feel that those thirds are not as good as the first and second, they were not plane crashes like (laughs) Raimi Spider-Man 3 or Blade Trinity or any of those, you know. You could also go with the the Star Wars vote that somebody added in. (laughs) Yeah, well, yeah, I'm still confused. By those responses, I'm not going to say any names, but I was like, he was like, agreed. And I went, agreed on what? And, and then he was like, yeah, um, these are all of my favorites. And I was like, does he understand that this you is gave a list. You're picking one, <laughs> that this is a list, you're picking one. And I tried to clarify mm-hmm. that and I don't think it helped. So... I just kind of. By the way, it it does look like Dark Knight edged out Captain America by just like a couple of votes. So on your side, yeah. I I I think that that has a lot to do with a topic we talked about just a couple of weeks ago. Nostalgia. Nostalgia. (laughs) Yeah, you could be right. I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that. Uh. Dark Knight is like a prestige movie, has an Academy Award winner, like performance in it, all of those types of things. And I think that that just, when people, I think, want to feel like they are required to make an elevated pick, like a pick to show their credentials. Yeah. In that category, 
they're going to choose Dark Knight. Or at least they'll choose the Dark Knight trilogy. You know what I mean? Yeah, mm-hmm. I can see that. It's it's kind of like when you ask somebody what their favorite director is and they have to say Quentin Tarantino. Or Steven Spielberg yeah. or someone like that. <laughs> you know? Yeah, right. right. They feel like they it's a test and they have to get that prestige answer. Mm-hmm. You know? Which don't get me wrong. I mean, Dark Knight is probably up there as one of my favorite movies, but... Yeah, I agree with you. Or it's that it's the nostalgia of that or it's like the the idea of because of how memorable Heath Ledger is in it. It's almost like they feel like blasphemy if they don't say it. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's like there's pressure. It's it's like I, I think that's what it is. They just love that second one so much. Just absolutely love it. Like it's like. God like it could just do no wrong. You know what I mean? It's that, an that's incredible just movie. People, but yeah. And it is. It is. It's a great movie. Um, so I understand the sentiment. I understand the fandom for it. I understand why people feel that way. It, it's a great film. It's a great comic book film. Like I even said, like I was doing kind of my own like analysis of what I think the top four were. And I even said Dark Knight could arguably be the best individual movie on this list. It could be. It could be. It could be. Um, and I think that that's what people are voting with. They just go, man, that movie was tight. It was just the best. It was just, I love it so much. So like you said, there's pressure to not vote against that. They feel like if I say Captain America, then I'm saying that the the Dark Knight, then I'm voting against the Dark Knight movie and all this stuff. No, you're not, man. You're just voting against the trilogy of movies. You're saying what three movies are the best? Do you think are the best? You're not. It's not a one movie vote, but I think for some people. Right. Yeah, because if it was that, I would absolutely probably hands down pick Dark Knight. Like, I think it, it arguably is probably the best movie on this list, followed by or closely tied with like Winter Soldier. But yeah, I think, yeah, for sure. I mean, and the thing is for me is like, I'm kind of over the Dark Knight trilogy. Like, <laughs> because of Nolan. I'm, I'm over Nolan. <laughs> yeah, I get that. Honestly. Yeah. So like, I can't, I, I feel like if I watch those movies, like every time I watch them or think about them or anything like that, I just feel like, I just feel the pompousness of his fucking just narcissistic bullshit all over it. And I just, it it becomes a chore. <laughs> I just don't want to watch it anymore. I'm like, man, fuck you. <laughs> you know, and I mean, and don't get me wrong, they're great and all, but I feel like when I watch, I want to watch something, especially if it's a superhero movie, I tend to want just something that is a little bit more fun. You know, just. A and that's fair. And I, I feel like his are the least fun in those regards. Like they take themselves so seriously. Like even their jokes that they make about themselves of like, 
oh, I want to be able to turn my head, you know, just ends up feeling like pretentious. <laughs> like, a, oh, we know you guys had a problem with this, so we solved it. Now you cannot critique my movie anymore. Like, it's that shit. And I'm just like, whatever. And then I just, I hate the very end of Dark Knight. Dark Knight Rises. I hate the very end of it. I just hate the ending of it so much. Like, it just puts yeah. a really big sour taste on my, in my mouth that, like, it's just Batman just goes, yep, I'm just going to fuck off to France now, guys. Good luck, Gotham. Yeah. Ugh. No. The most un-Batman thing that has ever been in a movie. Bat nipples. Yeah. Make infinitely more sense than that choice. Damn. I've never compared those two things. But now that you say that, <laughs> that's true. Like, he would just never quit, man. The, the, that's just not what he would do. If he has to build ro a robot to be Batman, he'll do it. If he has to have a kid be the new Batman and Batman Beyond, he'll do it. If he, well, man, even in, a kid. in Kingdom Come. He, he genetically oh, altered a baby to be his clone to yeah. grow up to be him. Exactly. You're right. You're, yeah, I forgot about that detail. Yes, you are absolutely right. He freaking made another Batman, literally <laughs> cloned of a person to be Batman. In Kingdom Come, he built an exoskeleton so that his old body could still like function and he could still like move around and punch and kick and all that stuff. And he had these giant sentinel like bat bots patrolling Gotham and he kind of controlled everything from like, you know, his bat cave, like th this dude, all of those scenarios I could see before Batman quitting on Gotham. It's just no, just no. <laughs> so I totally get where you're coming from with that. And it's just, it's such a weird turn at the end of that trilogy. I mean, they did so good at so many other things. And then they just went, hey guys, fuck yo, Batman. And then went credits. Yeah, we're done. <laughs> and then th there's oh. another thing that just annoys me too. I just want to, to quickly bring up, but like Alfred really changes in that movie too. Like in the second movie, Alfred is all like, you got to do it, Batman, the, your duty to the city and, 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 and what you're doing. He kind of like, you know, he talks Batman up when Batman almost quits because of everything that happens with Two-Face and his girl and everything like that. And, you know, it was Alfred that kind of was motivating him to, that, that no, you have to do this, you have to be Batman. The third movie, though, he's all, you need to quit, I'm scared for you, you need to think about you, and you need to do you, and nothing would make me more happy than for you to just be away somewhere enjoying your life and all of this kind of stuff. 
it was a complete like 180 turn from what he was in the second movie. And I and and when you watch those movies back to back, it's really glaring. Like you don't think about it. It wasn't anything I thought about when I saw it in theaters. But when you watch them back to back, it's very, very like obvious that they just changed him. No, you're absolutely right with that. It's just, and that's the problem is the whole, all the the movies while they're connected, they also all feel a little bit disjointed. You know, mm. like Batman was not Batmaning between Dark Knight and Dark Knight Rises. Like no Batmaning at all. And like I'm like, that's a little weird that he wasn't just Batmaning at all. I know the whole point was that he was the villain now and all this other shit, but like you still got a Batman. Like Batman got a Batman. <laughs> So, I mean, it's just, it, it it gets just so disjointed at times with that stuff. And I know that they were thrown off because Heath Ledger died. The plan was that he was going to be back in the next one and all this other stuff. But, I mean, still, like, if you're one of the best writer and directors out there, you, you shouldn't be that difficult. <laughs> and to be fair, I actually think that Tom Hardy was a great villain in the third one. I had, I had no issues with him. I had no problems with him as Bane. Yeah. No, yeah but I do have problems good. with the pretentiousness of, well, yeah, we can't understand him through the mask. Just turn your TV up louder. <laughs> like, just admit you fucked up. <laughs> like, you made a bad choice. So... Because they got so much shit after the trailer dropped or the that first little opening sequence. They showed that at Comic-Con or something like that. And a lot of people were criticizing, like, I could not understand Bane. And they were like, well, you got to watch it properly with better sound and all this. other. It's like, no, you just mixed it wrong because you were being pretentious and being like, oh, we're going to do this. So they corrected it a little bit. It's not. It's still not the best, but they fixed it a little. And then they were just like, nope, that's the way it always was. You guys were just wrong. It's like, no, you fixed it. You still didn't fix it enough. But God forbid you admit you fucked up and made a bad choice. Yeah, this was the same guy complaining about my movies were meant to be seen in theaters. Was that the same guy? Ugh. But yeah, if you are- want to hear him right, turn up your TV. Like, yeah, like fix your volume. <laughs> They do all this yeah. other stuff. Yeah. Become a professional audio engineer and set up your setup better. You'll right. understand it better, guys. <laughs> Anytime you've got to be a professional cinematographer or audio engineer to make your movie work in not a movie theater, you fucked up. Just saying. Yeah. Yeah. A little bit. A little bit. Oh, and one last thing about all that that I thought was funny that somebody said. Uh, somebody was like, now you need to switch it and talk about the worst trilogies. And they mentioned Dark Man. And that kind of made me sad because, man, I, I really, really like the first Dark Man. 
I'm a fan of that movie. I think I think people that don't like the Dark Man. Or don't get me wrong, Dark Man two and three are not the best of movies. But I sometimes no. feel like if you don't like Dark Man, I I think you missed the joke. You know exactly, what I mean? Exactly like, right. You missed the joke. The first one is a silly fucking movie. It's meant to be a silly fucking movie. What it, like he's hanging from a helicopter or something and hitting buildings. He's like, oh, yeah, ow, oh, yeah, that's gonna sting. Like he's like, it's yeah, it's, <laughs> it's a dark take on a Dick Tracy. That's exactly what it is. You know, it's there. It's silly. It's cheesy. It's goofy. That's that's what it is. And I think if you miss that, because the aesthetic and some of that stuff is meant to be serious, but like, it's a guy that just ends up being ugly. Like, so he goes and becomes a superhero. It's dumb. <laughs> yeah. But that's part of the, the gloriousness of the first Dark Man. Yeah. It's, it's all in there. It's kind of its own way of, it's kind of a. I saw it too as just kind of a satire of kind of like Batman and just kind of those overly serious, like superhero things, you know, vigilante yeah. movies yeah. and stuff. It's, it's, yeah. It, 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 it reeks of the pulp, com- pulp comics of the 1920s and 30s. Your, yep. Your right shadows, there. your Dick Tracy's, you know, it's hearkening back to those types of things. So essentially what they what he did is he did a more successful version of what they wanted to do in Batman Forever and in Batman and Robin. Yes, exactly. He did. And just I feel like you might have missed the joke. And especially if you go to Dark Man now, I think it's a lot harder to see the joke because you're so used to earnest superhero movies Mm. like movies trying to just do a take on a comic book character in an earnest way. And you were kind of forgetting that, you know, you can also make fun of comics and make fun of comic book movies. Like that's also fine. Cause at the time also there's what, like four comic book movies in the world at that time. Like, it was yeah. the early 90s. There weren't that many running around. In full disclosure, I actually had to look up that one because I always, when I was younger, used to mix up Dark Man and Shadow Man, I think. No, just Shadow. The Shadow. Or Shadow. Dark mm. Man and the Shadow. I always mix up those movies for some reason. Which I do not understand. <laughs> I don't either. But I feel like everything I thought was the Shadow, like... Looking at the the stills and stuff from Dark Man, I think that's what I remember. But I don't know why the shadow is just who I thought that was. You want to hear something that might surprise you guys? I still yes, I still really kind of dig the Shadow movie. <laughs> I dig it. It's garbage, but it's a good time. <laughs> I haven't <laughs> seen that movie in a good minute. Oh, I, I I probably watched it about three months ago. <laughs> oh, I know. I'm it. always curious what you're like. You you rewatch a lot of movies that are like older now, I feel like. That are like movies that you've liked for a long time. You just rewatch them more recently than I expect that you would. Sometimes I, I just get an itch. 
Yeah. And it, it can be any random thing that happens, and sometimes I just get an itch, and I have to watch the movie again. Kind of like Dracula Dead and Loving It. I was we about to say about that one. We talked about funny Draculas, so I had to watch Dracula Dead and Loving It. <laughs> I could not watch another movie until I watched Dracula Dead and Loving It. Like, I had to. I have also You do watched, have very specific rules about your movie watching, I think. Uh, no, it's, just, it's kind of like an earworm, or like when you crave a food... And like nothing, like you can eat other foods, but until you get what you're craving, you're not really satisfied with anything. Yeah. I get like that with movies. Yeah. And so like I after la- last week's com- conversation, I had to watch the Naked Gun movies again. I had to watch Robin Hood Men in Tights again. I, yeah. It, so if it gets stuck in my head like that, it becomes like a movie craving and I have to watch it. I have to. Yeah. Okay. I have to get it so I like I, it, it scratches the itch. You know, I could be like that too. Like I'm gonna probably wind up watching Dark Man now. Like I'm gonna probably wind up watching it. I'm probably gonna end up having to know? watch Dark Man, or another movie that is now stuck in my head, even though it has not been mentioned yet. The Phantom. The I did Phantom. like that movie. I love and that. And see, movie. when she said the shadow, see, the, those I get mixed up. Because when she said the shadow, I was thinking of the Phantom. Now I'm like, do I even remember the shadow? With Alec Baldwin? Like, and he had the red scarf and the guns? And Kubai Khan? Did I see that movie? <laughs> let, me, let me look it up. Everybody thinks that the shadow is just something else. And Sir Ian <laughs> But McKellen? nobody's ever seen it. <laughs> Dude, I'm looking at a poster for it. I don't think I ever saw it. You've this. never seen The Shadow? I don't, think I, I don't think I've seen it, bro. Justin. I was thinking of... You have to I, watch I was, The Shadow. I have not seen this. I was thinking of The Phantom. I was thinking of it's, that one. It's that movie that everybody thinks is a different movie. Yeah. Which is funny because that's kind of part of the movie. That, like, ties into, like, what the shadow does. <laughs> hmm. Which, and to me, the reason why the shadow works and why the phantom works, it's, to me, it's the same reason why the Dick Tracy movie works. It's the same reason why Dark Man works. It's just a pulp comic bullshit thing. So it works in, in that regard. You know what I mean? It just still kind of works hmm. in that cheesy comic strip bullshit thing that they used to be. Man, I love, I still love Dick Tracy, man. I, that, I thought, man, that movie I is love Dick so Tracy. And then fucking good. The way it looked, man, like you want to talk about a distinct look, like the way they did the cinematography to bring c- the color of the comic to that film I mean, it, I, I can't compliment enough on the costume design and the and the cinematography of that movie. Like that, if you want to talk about like what films look the most like their comic counterparts, it has to be one of them. It has to be. It's Dick Tracy and Sin City. Yeah, Sin City is another great one. Oh yeah, dude. Oh, I 
I, I get a Dick Tracy itch at least once a year. I have to go watch a Dick Tracy. And it's mainly, dude, the way that yellow just pops off the screen. There is yeah. just something so incredibly satisfying about that visual, just like that aesthetic. And just the bullshit comic, like 1920s comic that just oozes throughout that whole thing. You got what Dust, Dustin Hoffman is mumbles. Oh, it's just yeah. so good. It is. They, and Warren Beatty was like so the perfect casting. Like Warren Beatty like, yeah, still like owns ju- the rights to Dick Tracy. That's tight. Really? He, that, that's he cool. actually, he has to do an X amount of Dick Tracy every few years to keep the rights. And he'll do it still. He'll go and he'll like appear. Like he did some like podcast interview where he appeared as Dick Tracy just to satisfy that contractual clause. So he keeps the rights. <laughs> that is a new level of petty, hmm. but also amazing. <laughs> yeah, that's like great. My head we is should talk about Dick Tracy more than we should talk about our topic. Today. I was about to say, we have a other, as much as I am enjoying this, we do have two movies to talk about. Yeah, I, we're, we're kind of uh, delaying the inevitable here. Yep. We're right. all guilty. <laughs> we're all guilty. Let's do the theme song and sell our souls, shall we? (laughs) (laughs) Somebody will listen to me. Nobody knows anything but you. Cinema Slayers. Hey, Cinefans, and welcome back to another episode of the Cinema Slayers podcast. I'm Sterling, and as always, I'm joined by Heather and Justin. And tonight, we're going to talk about what we liked, didn't like, and everything in between with the two movies, Pray for the Devil and The Pope's Exorcist. We will have time (laughs) codes in the description to allow you to jump around if you need to. We will go recommendations and scores or spoiler-free recommendations and scores and then into a more spoiler-centric section with both movies and, like I said, time codes to allow you to jump around. And with all that, we're going to start off with Pray for the Devil. I'll I have go to first. say, before that, I have to say that's probably a better script than than what this movie was. <laughs> <laughs> Damn. I'll go first, guys. With Pray for the Devil, my spoiler-free thoughts. And Heather, go. (laughs) Wow. Oh, no. It's going to be one of those, everybody. It's going to be one of those. (laughs) Um, You really want me to go now? Oh, yes, I'm done. Okay, great. All right. (laughs) Um, I I said about as much as I could. You know, I think sure. I really yeah. delved deep into my thoughts about this movie. That's fair. Okay. Pray for the devil. Um, well, I mean, there's a lot of movies out there about, you know, demon possession, things like that. Some are okay. Some are not okay. This is probably not on the good end. 
<laughs> I tried to hold my composure there, but I just couldn't. I couldn't with I this one. I saw you. I saw you break. <laughs> I was like, I was trying. I just can't. It's it's not good. Like it's weird because I don't necessarily think that it was like terrible acting or anything like that. I just think that the story. That and is the, the most controversial thing you've ever said on this podcast. <laughs> oh, boy. I think that it was just more that it was it was just boring in general. Like, it was just the, the story along with the style of acting they were doing with it made it seem like there was no point of excitement. There was... It was a very monotone movie pretty much the entire time, even when it was supposed to be those very, um, you know, like scary moments or like the climax of the film moments. It was just so monotone throughout because of the story itself. Um, I'm not saying it was great acting, but like it wasn't, it honestly, in my opinion, it wasn't the worst acting I've ever seen. It just, the, I just didn't care enough about any of the characters, what was going on with them for me to be like, yeah, this is great. Like you're not really rooting for the lead. You're not really rooting for anybody in particular. Um, I think it's a pretty predictable movie in a lot of ways as well. Um, which I think, I feel like when it comes to the demonic possession movies, most of the time they're going to be pretty predictable at this point, I feel like, but this one even more so even Beyond the demonic possession portion of this movie, some of the story plot lines, I think, were very obvious and very clear. Um, so it's just one of those movies that you feel like nobody nobody cared about what was happening. Even the people who wrote it, like even the people who were in it, you just feel like they didn't really care about anything actually happening in this movie. And so it's just really hard to care about the movie itself when you feel like nobody else really cared either. So that's honestly without going into the actual movie, that's all I can really say about it. Justin, what about you? What are your spoiler free thoughts about pray for the devil? Wow. Somebody needs to pray for me. Um, (laughs) 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 Because I don't know why it shows. I can't believe yeah, I chose everybody, this. This, this. This is all Jason's fault. These movies this time, just everyone knows this that's is what happened. A Jaston episode. Jaston <laughs> don't put that up, man. And shows this. This is the Jaston special. Pray for the devil and Pope's Exorcist. Two movies that Jaston could not wait to watch and talk about. I don't like how you said that. A Jaston special, like this is my burger or something. Like this is this is <laughs> this is no Whopper. Jaston, we're not talking about this. Is cat. your burger? This is the Burger King of episodes. No, I knew that was coming. I no. absolutely knew he was about to say that. No, I did it to myself. I set him. I set that up. I did it to myself. Um, yeah, I chose these because I was like, hey, you know, recently. We had these two exorcist movies come out. So one about a woman, one about a man. It just seemed like it would be fun to to watch, to have an exercise in exorcism, so to speak, and watch these two. And I thought maybe 
that would be interested and they were supposed to be kind of like scary movies or have a scary atmosphere. And, you know, we had just got through watching Evil Dead Rise and that was a good experience. So I'm thinking, you know what? Let's follow it up with some more good ghoulish fun, you know, or or so I thought um, whenever I (laughs) selected these. Um, to, to talk about prey, like, I don't know. And maybe it's just me and just my seemingly sometimes just uncontrollable ability to see the potential in things. I, uh, on the outset of this, when this started and it was kind of setting up the premise and everything, I saw a lot of potential for this movie. I thought that at least some of that (laughs) was going to be realized. And unfortunately to my dismay, none of it was that there are times where I felt like this movie had like a touch of, of like feminism to it, where it was like, you know, it, it, it wanted to have like this feminist message and that doesn't really come across. Um, There are times where it seemed like it was supposed to be about a a woman trying to overcome her past. And I don't think that any of that came across. And then there's this whole, like, it's got this religious element to it. And there's this part about the clergy and how the clergy sees different people and how they arrange and, and how they go about the tradition. And it's supposed to be sort of this tradition versus new sort of message in it. And that doesn't come across either. Uh, There are all these things in this mixed bag that is this movie. And none of those things are effective. So then it's like, okay, if none of your themes are going to be effective, then maybe you'll succeed at just creating a scary atmosphere and just trying to give us something that feels familiar in a good way about the exorcist or exorcism movies and things like that. And the, and this doesn't really succeed at doing that either. Um, I'm, I'm in agreement somewhat with you, Heather, that like the acting wasn't really what bothered me in this. To me, that wasn't the most egregious thing. I think really it was the writing. Um, it, it was the story. It was the script. It just, the, this, the, the writing just couldn't ever get out of its own way with this. And just the moment, just when you thought maybe it might do something interesting, like you said, Heather, it does the most predictable, obvious thing that it could possibly do. And there were just times in this movie where I was like, please, just please don't be the most obvious, just low-hanging fruit thing of all time. And this movie just chose to do yep. the most obvious, low-hanging fruit thing of all time. So, unfortunately, that's what this winds up being. Just this forgettable mishmash of all these things and concepts that disguises itself as an exorcism movie. Um, And then it ends in such a weird 
kind of questionable way that then I just kind of left going, what was it actually trying to do? Like the ending had me so like confused because everything that I saw up to that point and then the way that it ended, it didn't match anything that you showed me. Yeah, it did not warrant that ending at all. Yeah. Yeah, like I just, so yeah, man, this was definitely just nothing but a bunch of question marks. And I know that sometimes we talk a lot about previews and the, and how sometimes previews are like, uh, can take away from a film because they can show too much or sometimes they can be very, um, they can be too revealing and sometimes they kind of have the opposite effect of getting you to want to see this. Um, man, I wish the person who made the preview for this film <laughs> directed it or had something to do with the writing of it or whatever, because I think the best thing about this movie was the previews. I saw the previews made this seem way more interesting and like it was going to be a way better movie than this. And it just was not. So I think that this is one of those movies that that would be an interesting thing to talk about, like movies with a plus previews and the movie was just terrible. Like uh, this might be one of them because the preview intrigued me, which is why I even remembered this movie, even though I didn't catch it in theater. So I think there's something to be said with that, at least. I would put Barbarian in that too, by the way. Ah, okay. Gotcha. Yeah. Uh, Recommendations and scores? Yep. Yep. Recommendations and scores. I'll start this one too. Uh, Justin, uh, what about you? (laughs) Wow. Just not even going to dignify it with the score. (laughs) Well, so will there even be a third score average in this? Will it just be a two? Will it just be a two score average? (laughs) There is a score. You will have to do math to figure out what it is. Okay, but there is a score. I've already actually got it in my calculator, waiting for you guys. Oh God! Okay, man, like. Is there anything that I could score positively for this? There might have been one performance in this that that I thought was okay. There is one minor character that I thought did elevate things. I wonder a if bit. it's the same one as mine. Is it the cab driver at the end of the movie? <laughs> <laughs> Fortunately, no. I would be curious to find out if we're thinking of the same person. I really hope we're talking about the same person. I'm trying to figure out who the fuck you could possibly be talking about. <laughs> Let alone more than one person. I have I know. no idea. Wow. If we wind up with two different people, that would be crazy. But I, I'm almost certain we have to be talking about the same person. I um, hope so. Because how if if you have two people that were fairly okay in this movie, I'm going to assume we didn't watch the same movie. (laughs) One, okay, maybe, you know, maybe. 
And not that I would agree with it, but okay, maybe we just have a difference in opinion on one actor, but two potential actors, I, I really do think I watched a different movie if there's two different ones. <laughs> I, 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 I really, I'm pretty confident we're talking about the same person because this person, this actor really did help. He, they did when they were in the scenes with our protagonist. It was a little bit better than when that person was not in the scenes with this person. I, I think so. I really think I can say that and be fair about it. But it, it, but but really, uh, does that mean that this is going to get a positive score? No, I can't recommend this. It's so forgettable. There are a thousand other movies about exorcism and exorcists that a person could watch that, that are better than this. Uh, one of them we're probably going to review here in a few minutes <laughs> that you could watch over this and probably have a better time. So yeah, it's a no recommend for me and we're going to go with, For that one, I'll, I'll give 10 points for the one actor that I'm talking about. And then I will give another 10 points for the preview because whoever cut and spliced the preview for this and found a way to make it seem like a movie I would want to see, I think that they deserve some credit. So it's going to be a 20. We'll go 20 apology letters I'm probably going to have to write because we had to review this movie out of a hundred. Heather, what about you? <laughs> um, no, I, I can't recommend this movie in good conscience. I, it's, it's just the, the biggest fault of this movie, honestly, is the fact that it's just very boring um, and there's just no, there's nothing about it for you to get excited about. Um, so it, it's just so mundane and it's, yeah, I, I definitely don't think it's one that I would recommend for anybody. Um, again, you know, same, same things I said before, like just the, the, I've seen worse acting, but the fact that the story is what it is, this is not one of those movies where a performance elevated anything. So it just kind of made it more apparent what this movie is, which is just really nothing. <laughs> so um, I honestly was going to actually give it the exact same score as you, Justin. <laughs> so I'm going to go with uh, 20 uh, maggots coming out of a girl's hands while she's possessed out of a hundred. All right, so that makes the Cinescore an 87. I'm sorry. Sorry. I read that wrong. Negative 87. I was about to say. Oh, God. <laughs> what? I was about to go, what did you give it? <laughs> you can math your ways with both of their 20s. You can math your way to figure it out and getting a negative 87. I'll tell you, I gave it a negative 300. 
You know what? I actually thought you were going to give this a negative six, six, six. Well, if it makes you feel any better, the actual score is a negative 86.666 repeating. There we go. Okay. Nice. We round nice. up here at Cinema Slayers. But no, I give it a negative 300. Uh, spoilers? Sure. <laughs> yeah. Spoilers. I don't really want to talk about this movie. Uh, I <laughs> No way. <laughs> I disagree with you guys completely on the acting. Everybody is a paperback in this movie. Every single person is a paperback, like a paperback puppet. Every single person is a paperback puppet, and some of them are wet paperback puppets. The only thing I want to talk about Man. is the last scene of this movie. So we sit through a bullshit movie that might have been a 20. It might have been a 20, just like you guys gave it. Until the last scene of this movie, which is just an insult to God and everything that is holy. If you can hear my cat just yelling, it's because he is so upset about what happened at the end of this movie. The end of this movie really makes it seem like this nun is the John Wick of exorcists that she will just yep. be the exorcist that all the demons must defeat from now on. That there Literally will be same. a long and storied franchise of her battling the demons that come after her because now, now the devil knows who she is because he, she beat, I don't know, Bob the demon. <laughs> yes oh yes and just that's how this movie ends it ends like I I, I expected uh, what, what's her name sister Betty will be back in pray for the devil right. too the devil <laughs> is the one that needs your prayers <laughs> <laughs> and then also and I know you guys are going to talk about this too I have to say it was it not the dumbest thing in the world when that the, the girl that's possessed is her daughter is that not the dumbest thing that has ever been committed to film yeah it's up there why did they do that? That was what I was talking about when I said the most obvious low-hanging fruit. I was like, this better not be her daughter. And then as soon as she said, she's my daughter, I went, why, movie? Why? See, Justin, like, it <laughs> it's funny. You predicted it. Which I guess implies that the movie at least made you care enough to predict it. I did not care enough to predict that. But also when it happened, I did not care enough that I did not predict it. Because I'm not caring about, about this right. movie. And then it goes, I gave this to my daughter 
when she got adopted. And I went, oh, yeah, she had a daughter. I know they literally revealed that like eight minutes before that. I had forgot. I also forgot that that little girl was in this movie. So, because she hadn't (laughs) been on screen for five minutes, so I stopped remembering. And, yeah, I just don't remember. And I don't know. When do you guys talk? My work phone's going off. I don't know what that's about. So you, you guys, you know, talk amongst yourselves. I'll be right back. We'll, we'll keep it going. <laughs> that's legitimately all I had to say anyway. So, All right, then. Okay. <laughs> I feel like, okay, Jason, I do want to talk about who's the person that you're talking about is makes the movie better. Okay. I really hope we say the same person. But <laughs> the father, Quinn. Colin Salmon, the uh, the 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 exorcist teacher, master, that guy. I, I liked him. I did actually like him. I thought that um, in the scenes where she's kind of trying to learn and sneak in there and kind of trying to be a part of the exorcist classes and stuff like that. And I like the fact that he was a little more open-minded rather than just being kind of like the tropey, like religious person that's like, oh, a woman and just being like, so like over the top angry that she was trying to learn and come in and everything like that. I like how he was a little more open to her. I like how he saw something in her. He saw potential in her. He didn't care about the whole, the, the, so much the traditions and the rules he saw something in her and so whenever they had interactions and stuff like that and she was trying to learn things and stuff like that I liked how he would talk to her and try to motivate her to keep going and stuff like that and and I say that now don't that now that doesn't mean I was enjoying the movie or anything like that but I and and was he like great or anything no, he wasn't doing great acting or anything, but I thought he pl- at least for the at the very least he played that character well. I thought he did. I thought that their scenes together are probably her best scenes with anybody. Um were some of the only scenes where I wasn't just sitting there rolling my eyes the whole time. So he was the one. So my answer for this is twofold. <laughs> For one, that was actually not who I was talking about, but I actually, when you're saying that, I'm like, if I'm being honest, like he definitely did make the movie better being in it because without his, like, if you take him out of this movie, like it's just almost completely unwatchable altogether, to be honest. So I actually yeah. get what you mean by that. I, I don't know why I didn't think of him. I guess because in general, there's nobody that I'm like, they stand out. Nobody stands out really in this movie in any sort yeah. of way. Um, my actual, my, the person I was thinking of was actually um, the, uh, I'm forgetting who's the main character's name. I forget her name. Um, what is her name in this movie? Jacqueline is, Byers. Sister Anne is the Sister character. Sister Anne, name. yeah. Yeah. So Sister Anne's therapist is actually who I was talking about. <laughs> oh, um, okay. Okay. Yeah, uh, I think her name is oh Dr. Peters. Virginia Madsen played her. So that's who I was talking about. Okay, I get, yeah. I, I see that. I get yeah. that. 
And I think the reason that I say that is because she's the one person who felt like the actual most real person. Like she was a realistic person more than any of the others, I would say. Um, just in how she was responding, the things that she was actually saying to her. Um, you know, I actually felt like her acting was probably better than the others. She's not even in it that much, you know, but like just when she was on screen and she was talking, the things she was saying, she just felt like a real person. She felt realistic yeah. to me more than anybody else. So that's why for me, I was saying she was the one person that I was like, I had, I didn't have any issues with her in this movie. But, um, so I guess, you know, I know Sterling's not hearing this right now, but <laughs> there are, I, for me, at least I could say, actually, there are two people that I did not mind performance wise in this movie, as far as they actually made it a little bit better. So yeah, that, that was the person I was thinking of. Um, especially okay. like that, that scene when she's kind of talking about, you know, do the work, keep going, you know, that whole thing where she's talking to her about, you've been through a lot, you know, there's a lot going on here, you know, just keep going and don't give up kind of thing. Like whatever that whole thing was, she was saying was, um, I liked that. Cause I feel like that's actually a very sort of, um, realistic therapy type of thing that I think that she would say to her probably as she's like going out of like her sessions or whatever it is. So yeah, that was, that was my, that was my pick. Yeah, now that you mention her, yeah, I guess I just wasn't thinking about her just because of the, like you said, she's not in a lot of scenes. But yeah, but 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 as you were talking and I was thinking about it, I was like, oh yeah, that woman didn't make me mad. Like uh, she, you know. And then there was the, and, and they had a a pretty good back and forth um, towards the end of the movie where she's like down about. Um, the when she tried to help um the 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 other that guy's sister and I forget his yeah. name the the, the other name. yeah exorcist attractive student. father guy attractive <laughs> yeah. priest guy yeah priest exorcist student whatever but whenever <laughs> yeah. um yeah her sister died and everything and so she's all sad like man I, I tried to do it but I failed or whatever. And then she and the therapist comes and has that conversation with her. And they, they yeah. had some lines back and forth there that I wasn't mad at. You know, she never yeah. did anything to where I was like, I hate this character. Or I don't like this character. So I, I can see where you're coming from with but that. But to be fair, she's honestly not it enough for you to probably have remembered her in general. So I also get that perspective. Yeah. yeah. She just had a few scenes, but the few scenes she was in. She was fine. She never seemed over the top or, man, this therapist is saying stupid things or nothing about her stood out to me as bad. So I can see yeah. where you're coming from with that. Okay, I'll say my mind is blown because you're talking about two different people. <laughs> and I'll say why I didn't qualify either one of them ever. So the father that you talked about, Justin. The reason why he got disqualified in my mind is because he's the one that said the terrible line, be careful because now the devil knows who you are. He did say that. So I, he That's got disqualified fair. for any consideration of anything <laughs> at that point. And then for Heather, uh, you're talking about Virginia Madison's character. Yeah. And I love her because she was in Candyman. I've, I've got a long storied history with her. 
she gets disqualified because she serves no point in this movie. She's there yeah, talking she's, about how it could be mental illness. It doesn't mean this. It doesn't mean that. At no point in this movie do they show any examples of her being right. Every single person yeah. they show in this movie is possessed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I get what you mean. And like, and I don't know if you um, heard this part of it necessarily, but it's because I feel like her character was the most actual realistic human being in the movie. That's fair. But that also kind of makes her more out of place in this movie. That's true. And she's also, again, like Jasmine was saying, she's not really in it a, a lot. So it's also like, oh, you could have just forgotten she was a character because she's just not in it enough anyway. But she was the only person for me that I was like, you know what? I don't mind what she's doing. I had no issues with specifically any of her performance. But again, I don't know that it's saying much. But in this movie, that might be saying the most because you're like, you know what? This person who's in it for five minutes, maybe, is better than any of the other people that I can think of. <laughs> I, I I would I would I would agree with that if her characters served more narrative purpose. Yeah, that's fair. She was just there to be a naysayer, but also someone that was technically wrong all the time. Which is like most people aren't possessed; they're mentally ill. There are no examples of that whatsoever in this movie. So in this universe, you can only assume everyone is possessed. And that's why, like, that's that was a you know a weird character for me in that regard too. Yeah, yeah that's fair. And and that's just kind of indicative of the problem because, I mean, I can get where you're coming from, Heather, talking about the acting, and that's kind of where I was coming from talking about the uh, the the father guy, more or less, was talking about the acting. But what you're talking about, Sterling, is indicative of really what is wrong with this movie and that's the writing like like the therapist character and her saying well what about mental illness and this that and the other it would have been great if maybe somehow that argument came into play in this struggle to try to help these people if some of those things came into play if maybe even if you had used it to kind of tease well is this a mental illness is this something that um, therapy can help and things like that. Even if you just sort of have that, that back and forth of that being a, a, could it be this and kind of having a tease or back and forth in the movie of maybe it is this, maybe they are wrong in their approach, but we didn't get any of that. They just set that up just like Sterling's talking about with that character. And then none of that really comes to fruition. Um, the, the 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 thing about kind of her being this woman and trying to do something that is traditionally something that a man does like they they sort of set it up like it may become this big thing of oh we're going to get into kind of the tradition of that and we're we're going to get into kind of why um you, you know, you shouldn't restrict a woman from doing things like that. They made it seem like they were going to set that up and try to have some of those themes in there. And they really did it. It was just like at the end, everybody just accepts her, you know, um, 
even though there was a person who died <laughs> because she decided to do an exorcism without any supervision, without any, you know, she didn't follow the rules and somebody died, but we saved the little girl. So everything's okay. And now, yeah, you're just awesome. And you can be the first woman, you know, you can be the first female exorcist. That was a weird, just turn to. Well, I mean, and, and to be fair to the actors in this movie, I know I called them paper bags and wet paper bags. But a lot of it has to do with the material they were given to act with. The direction and writing in this movie is to be generous subpar. And you feel it. You feel it in the actor's performances. You feel it in... In, in the dialogue, you feel it in the sequences. You feel it in every inch of this movie. At no yeah. point does it truly feel done well. Uh, yeah. You know, to, to talk about the therapist character, she brings up the, the other female exorcist at one point or something. She brings up some character or whatever or some person or whatever. And she's like, oh, I'm surprised you know that. And she's like, well, I'm an academic. I like seeing both sides. But the movie doesn't. The movie doesn't give you both sides. The movie just gives you one side the whole time. If they had played on that more, her character would have felt more relevant for sure. Yeah. Um, Yeah. You know, I think it would have been better if the sister... That the guy's like, oh, no, she is possessed, but they won't see her here and all this other stuff. I think it would have been better if she was just mentally ill Mm. and then maybe killed herself because of that. Instead of what they did in this to be like, see, you don't know the difference. You're a danger. I mean, yeah, no, that's fair. And also like what you said about. You're right, because Virginia Madsen, I know her, and then the guy who plays Father Dante, um, attractive priest man, I've seen him and other things before. And he's a good actor, too. Um, he was a character in 13 Reasons Why, which I liked. Like, he, he's a good actor, but it's just like, this, this gives you nothing. This story gives you nothing to go off of, and that's the problem with it. Like... And also that scene that you're talking about, Sterling, with like the sister, his sister, and they decide, you know, outside of, you know, rules to go and perform this exorcism. Like, I feel like, I don't know why he thought that it was necessary to tell the church per se that that happened if it wasn't like he was blaming her. Or it didn't feel like that, right? It didn't feel like he was blaming her or like saying, you know, she did this. She's at fault. I don't want her around this anymore. Like, it it wasn't like he was telling them to blame her. So I'm curious, like, what his motivation for actually even telling the church about what happened was. Because it was actually his idea in the first place to do it. And you know what I mean? Like, I'm just wondering what was his what was his motivation or reason for why he felt the need to tell these people, like... Hey, we did this and we failed at it. Maybe like the guilty conscience thing, maybe that's probably what it was. But I just feel like that was kind of a weird like way to tell that story or to bring that 
up in the later scenes that happened after they did the exorcism with her. Well, one problem with this movie is the fact that like she does an exorcist and it fails. And so the woman dies because of it. But then they're also just accepting the fact that somebody can be so possessed. They die anyway. So why is that an acceptable Mm. outcome in that regard? But failing an exorcism and they die is bad. Like you're already accepting the fact that people can die from possession. And if who's, why, why could the argument be made that the sister was also at a terminal level possession anyway? Yeah. And that's why she failed then too. So what is the harm in her trying? You know what I mean? Like that, that's what makes no sense is that that's something that's openly accepted in this universe anyway. So why is there problems now all of a sudden? And so with all that, it just becomes very, very flawed in its own logic when it comes to like scene to scene, to scene, to scene. And I just don't get it. Yeah. Like, I mean, and also like, is it just me or so the scene with when they first have the girl and she, they're trying to like get the demon out of her when, when he's like training them, so to speak. Um, did it feel like that scene was more riveting than the end scene when main character gets possessed? Cause I didn't care about that scene. Like nothing about it made me care that that happened. Like, is it just me? I didn't care about either of those scenes. <laughs> but the way they told the story, like it felt like the climax of the story was that moment with the little girl instead of what it actually was supposed to be when um, Sister Anne gets possessed. And like at that point, I was just like, why, why do I care about this moment? <laughs> I think maybe that could be because by the end of the movie, you are beaten down by dullness. <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. Yeah, that scene that you're talking about, the training scene, well, really all of it just feels kind of weird to me. It it felt weird that we were training on someone who is potentially dangerous. If, if, If you know that this possession could take place and that and and that this possession is taking place and that this p- demon could potentially possess other people it felt really dangerous to let trainees go in there like i thought maybe they were going to watch the father same in there with with her do try to do an exorcism or him try to be in there and 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 talk about these are the things we have to do and you know ha- watch him interact with someone who is possessed or watch a previous person who he successfully exercised or something like that like it seemed like it would have been more safe to watch the master do it rather than being like all right you know, your first one, here you go, yeah, get get in there and just do it, <laughs> you know, right. get in there 
You know, we, yeah. we've taught, we've learned in the books, we've done, you know, I've, t- I've told you the scriptures, we've done the, the teachings. Now, here's this child that is just in this room, not restrained, not behind a wall, or not behind glass, nothing. Just go in there and do the exorcism. So that was really weird in front of a class full of other people too like yeah, yeah it was in very front strange of a class <laughs> i mean there's a few things about that whole thing that make no sense to me because like it's also the equivalent of like hey guys i know you've been in med school but here go do a surgery real quick you know just go replace their heart no big deal yeah. just go do it <laughs> don't worry if you start sucking i'll send in a different doctor not a specialist, just, you know, another one of your classmates to see if they can do it better. We'll figure it out. But also, like, why don't you have any, like, safety precautions in your, like, your built exorcism room? Why are there not, like, sprinklers at the top that just spray holy water all over the room? Or, you know, like, speakers that just start doing prayer chants or some shit, like, isn't there things you could do in your room that you like built a, to exercise people in? Yeah, or like you're on a speaker behind that wall still. Like you're you're just speaking it while you're on the other side of the wall. Like something. Like how cool would it be in their exorcism room if they stay behind the wall, they talk through a microphone, and then they just have a super, super soaker with holy water and they just start squirting it. And they're just like... Right. Like, it, but honestly, it makes the most sense if we're talking about demonic possession being a possibility. Like, why wouldn't you do that? <laughs> I don't know. But I don't yeah. know the rules of what's technically like, do they have to be in the room? Like, I don't really know the rules of that per se, but it just feels like there's got to be a, a safer way to do that if yeah. your goal is to exercise the demon. But so. also, why are they like, hey, guys. She's like a stage three possession. You know, she's like four minutes away from being dead from this exorcist. Hey, trainees. I don't know. Go figure some shit out. Do you it think? It won't be that yeah. hard. Yeah. I just didn't understand that at all. So I was like, why are these trainees being put in this kind of danger? Like, right. and And even before the exorcism... How come there wasn't a debriefing on this girl? Why didn't they know everything about this person, where she came from, who her parents were? This is what happened. This is when she first started showing signs. Oh, wait, that's right. Because then they would have just found out that it was Sister Anne's daughter. So we couldn't have what would just be common sense shit in here. You know, you couldn't do... (laughs) What would just be common sense stuff like doing your research before you do something to a patient because we had to have that story element that everybody could see coming a mile away. We had to have our big surprise that wasn't a surprise. So we couldn't just do sensible shit at the beginning. (laughs) Well, no. Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say like. Was anybody else just bothered by the fact that they, like, it felt like they invented a new type of possession, a terminal possession? And then they (laughs) said it, like, every nine seconds. 
but she's a terminal possession. But it's terminal. We got to do to the Vatican. It's just terminal, terminal. Do they have a special plane to transport demonically possessed people to the Vatican? Like, it's just, but they just kept going, it's terminal. But what? She's terminal. But if she's terminal, we got to stop her from being terminal. I'm like, holy fuck. <laughs> you just invented this and I'm already fucking tired of it. Yeah. No, that's, that's true. And like, and the thing with it too is like, if this is a, a like you're studying this and you're trying to get this right, shouldn't the, uh, the teacher of the class been the one to say, I'm going to go in. You guys are going to follow me. Watch what I'm doing first. Like he didn't even say like, let me show you how it's done with this level 17 demon before I just send you in there. Like, <laughs> yeah, but I think you're right because I feel like that's sort of a, a trope with like possession movies. Sterling is like, we're, we're creating like, Oh, this is terminal case of possession. And like just the, I feel like, that's the difference to it and the other movie we're going to talk about. Like, I feel like there's, you could feel the difference in like movies that actually feel like they're basing it off of real research they've done for the movie and not like, <laughs> I feel like you could tell the difference of that. And also the trope of, like you said earlier, everybody's just possessed in this movie, right? That they've said is possessed. Like why it's such a trope that how common it is to get possessed in movies like this like they just act like it's the most common thing to be demonically possessed in these movies and it's just insane because i'm like just any any old time any old buddy like yeah you're just going to be possessed at any given moment and i just feel like it's such a trope in these types of movies and then it's also and i think what adds to that trope is just this idea that anybody can just exercise demons I don't Correct. really like that either. Like, how come these people? And, and I and I get it. You know, it's it's a story. So you, I guess you. It's not like there are rules to this. You can make up any rules you want. But it would just seem like not anybody could do this. Like, there are these these people training. What do you want to? You know, like what what are you studying in church? Well, I'm studying demons and how to do exorcisms. And would you believe it? Today, I just, uh, we, I went into a dark underground chamber in the church somewhere and performed my first exorcism today. It was a four-year-old girl. It was pretty cool. It was pretty fire. Yeah, Like, I don't know. (laughs) Like, it just feels like this wouldn't be something that just anybody could do. It feels like you would have to have some sort of, gift or you might be maybe you're a person that you could see spirits when you were younger or maybe like there's a certain test an aptitude test or something that you have to take before you could even get in this class like it should have been explained that these are not just people who decided I want to do I want to be an exorcist it seems like there should have had to have been some way to determine who could be good at this? Like, or well, who could do this? It's also antithetical to what the Catholic Church actually says, which is we don't really do exorcisms anymore. You know? And so when you, you've got a movie that's like, yeah, it's 2020 and mm-hmm. we've got an exorcist college. We've got exorcist you. Right. Like. Well, that and also, like, if I'm not 
I mean, it always confuses me too in these movies too, because like with the, the priests and the people doing the exorcisms, how many times do we see where they end up getting possessed, right? With doing part of the exorcism. I'm like, if I'm that, not mistaken, it, go ahead. No, I'm just saying that's an homage to the exorcist. That's, I mean, that all goes back to that. Yeah. And, and that, and that could be what it is. But like, for me, I'm just like, isn't the whole idea of the fact that like, you know, if you're, if you're saved in the sense and you have like the Holy Spirit in you, like, isn't it like you're not supposed to be able to be possessed? Like it always confused me with that aspect of it, of like these super holy people that are performing these exorcisms can just so easily get possessed when isn't the whole point, like they shouldn't be able to be because they have the Holy Spirit. I don't know. It was just very confusing. That they invite happens. the devil in more often than not, or they invite the demon in. It's, it's a I way mean, to combat it. You get it out of the victim so I can fight it within me. That's, okay. that's what happens in this movie. It's what happens in another I movie guess, that yeah. won't be named, but we're going to talk about in five minutes. It, it's what happens. Yeah, it's, it's the it's sacrifice of it. It's, it's that's the, fair. It's the sacrifice. It's the sacrifice myself to save the child or sacrifice myself to save the person. Yeah, I mean, I guess... the demon in. I guess that's true. Like, I just... And yeah, you're right, because, I mean, it, it was a sacrifice of sorts, so that makes sense. But I guess... In, in a way, I still it still confuses me of like, can I guess you can sacrifice yourself in that way, but can you really like, I don't know. It just I, I don't I don't know how that works. But anyway, it was always just also another trope that it's like the priest or whoever it is is always going. They they tend to always be someone who gets possessed in some sort of way. So yeah, um, but yeah, I just I I don't know. Yeah, you're right. It's very. It's almost like this movie did little to no research at all as far as what they should have been doing in this movie to make it seem believable. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, and at the very least, it's just not well thought out. Like, why wouldn't you really, if you're going to have a school and a class and curriculum based around this, you just think that there would be more thought put into all of those things. Like there would have to be safety measures like what Sterling is talking about. There would the teacher would not just send students in there who've never done this before on a very potentially dangerous subject like that. There there would be these, you know, and if they were sent in there after a real subject, they would have to know everything about that subject. You know, those are just things yeah. that a person who uh, who really is thinking about this and 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 is well thought out it it, it, this, it would make this a lot more fun like i would like to see somebody with like real writing talent um tackle something like this because i think it's kind of interesting a class with students based on them trying to you know fight demons or perform exorcisms and all of this kind of stuff. And you got these different students and this whole curriculum and you've got all these different masters and people like in the right hands and the right imagination, you could probably come up with something really fun for this. That would be kind of cool and would have all of those things in it and stuff like that. You could probably come up with something kind of fun, but yeah. Unfortunately, we just don't have any of that, that with this. It wasn't that well thought out. 
So all these things are just very glaring. Like another thing that I kind of had a problem with too was that they kept saying that Sister Anne was special because she not only sees that the, the demon or not only tries to focus on the demon, but she tries to focus on the person and she knows and she sees that this is a person who has been possessed and the person is still inside of there. And, and, and I didn't buy that either. Like who wouldn't know that or think that or have realized that like if all these people have been doing exorcisms and training in this for years and performing these exorcisms and stuff, isn't the whole point of it to try to exercise the demon so that the person who is there that we know is there, that we know is recognizing that we recognize is there and stuff can then be free of that and live a normal life. Like how would it go so many years, so many decades, so many centuries, however long they've been doing this, how would it go that long without somebody like realizing or knowing that, yes, I have to somewhat appeal to the human that is being possessed as well. That just didn't, I didn't buy that as that was her special thing or she recognizes this unlike anybody else in the world. They just made it sound like that was just such a big thing. And like in every exorcist movie uh, uh, ever, anything ever about exorcism, that is just a common thing that everybody understands. (laughs) But in this, they tried to make it this special skill of hers. And I wasn't buying that either. And, you know, and talking about what you did about this type of movie, what I think what would have been a more interesting movie is, you know, obviously, you know, Catholic church isn't doing this anymore. um, But there's still a class being taught about like, you know, sort of like a history class almost in a way of, this is what used to happen and all of that. And then it comes to where there's somebody who is possessed that needs to have the exorcism. And so it's this big like fight that they're having with like, no, we don't do that anymore. But one of the students still wants to do it. Like, I feel like that would have been a better story in this case than what they gave us here. Now that you're saying what you did. So yeah, there was potential for something way better to be done with this story and this script, I think. Well, I mean, particularly with this movie, one of the things that comes to mind with me is the fact that, like, they they bring so much up, but they don't really pay off any of it in a way that makes sense. Like, she is a chosen warrior of God. That's why the demons, like, really want to get her. But then also, now the devil knows who she is at the end of the movie. Like, that's a weird thing. They kept talking about how, like, you know, that's a thing throughout the movie that it's like her legacy or or destiny or whatever. But then now all of a sudden the devil knows who she is. He's like, oh, no. Right. This exorcist is now here. (laughs) But then also. Wouldn't he always know? But then I, I, I think it is so incredibly shitty, especially when this movie came out in 2022. That they're talking about the mom and they're like, oh, she was diagnosed as schizophrenic. But she was really just possessed. Mm. And I'm like, shut the fuck up with that. 
Yeah. That's logic from, I don't know, 1474. Like, get the fuck out of here with that now. Like, yeah. come on. Get, like, especially when the movie openly acknowledges that the Catholic Church for too long confused mental illness with demon possession. And then the movie sits there and writes it off also within its own narrative of my mom was diagnosed as schizophrenic, but the true story is she was possessed, but she had the will to also fight the demon and killed herself. Like that's not like, that's just such a fucking lazy bullshit thing to do with the worst logic that only further propagates the fucking issue of the fact that so for so long of our fucking history, we confused mental illness with demons. We also used to confuse left-handedness with being fucking of the devil. Too many people have fucking died because things that are natural to human beings, like mental illness or being left-handed or, I don't know, being gay or being trans has been demonized for so fucking long that it is fucking pointless and stupid and irresponsible and downright fucking lazy in 2022 to have a movie go, Hey guys, sometimes it's mental illness, but we'll never actually fucking show that. But then also we will openly acknowledge the fact that we are still saying that somebody that is mentally ill is demonically possessed because you can't actually comprehend or deal with the fact that no, your mom was actually just schizophrenic. We're also going to go, but no, she wasn't really schizophrenic. It was just demons. Mm-hmm. <sighs> it's like the story was just trying to like fill up story. So they just did whatever. <laughs> That's what it feels like. I think you were generous by saying there was story. <laughs> you guys want to move on? Yeah. Yeah. There we go. The full sound that time. Uh, Pope's Exorcist. Uh, Once again, we'll go spoiler-free recommendations and scores and then into a more spoiler-centric section. All time codes are still in the description to allow you to jump around in this section too. Don't, Don't worry. I'm not putting time codes for just the beginning. I'll put time codes for all of it. Generosity. I'll start this one off too. I I want to throw you guys for a loop. It is the exact same movie. (laughs) But it has Russell Crowe in it. (laughs) And that weirdly makes it better. It makes it more enjoyable. It makes it less of a chore to watch. And just gives you something in general to actually care about throughout the movie. And I think that this is a weird example of how much an actor can influence a movie or their performance can influence a movie, but also by just making, I don't know, four less stupid decisions in your writing can just also make a movie flow together better. Because the story is almost the exact same. The plot structure and the plot elements are the exact same. But by just having a little bit more, like I said, you they made like four 
less bad choices. And they had a Russell Crowe. And so it, it makes it a movie that you're like, all right, I watched it. Instead of, ugh, I watched that. And I weirdly think, Justin, I just, I might, I I think you might be of the devil, Justin. Because you recommended we watch both of these movies. And somehow you picked the exact same movie. It's like if this, wise. if this was like <laughs> 1997 or 1998 and you're like, hey, guys, I hear that Deep Impact and Armageddon are coming out. They just sound like we should watch both of those movies. Not having known anything else. And going, oh, they're the same thing. Just one has, I don't know, other people. I don't remember anybody who's in Deep Impact. Is Morgan Freeman in Deep Impact? I think he is. I think he's the president, right? Okay. So one movie has Ben Affleck and the other one has Morgan Freeman. That's the only difference in those movies. <laughs> you know? And so you weirdly did that with this. You weirdly gave us the Deep Impact and Armageddon of Devil Possession movies. <laughs> And it, it it's weirdly the same. I mean, I remember Armageddon more than I remember Deep Impact. Same. I I don't remember if one is better than the other. It's been 90,000 years since I've watched either one of those movies. But I at least remember Armageddon, or at least I think I do. I might not. I might actually be remembering Deep Impact. I don't know the difference. This is the Ethan Hawke and Josh Hartnett of movies. <laughs> oh no. Um I say that that's not completely true. I do know I remember Deep or I remember Armageddon more cuz it has been Affleck. That's how I yeah. know I remember Armageddon more than I remember Deep Impact cuz I remember Ben. Yeah, can't forget Ben. And there's a scene of a half-naked Liv Tyler and a Ben Affleck in the same scene. Yeah, I'm going to remember that. Yeah. Especially from that time of my life. I think it was like fucking 12 when that happened. Yeah, I'm going to remember that shit. Anyway. <laughs> um, but yeah, this this movie just is weirdly more watchable, even though it's the same. And I give so much credit of that to Russell Crowe. And like I said, the four choices that they made that were slightly different that just make it kind of narratively work better. And it's, it's mind boggling, but it's, it's better. I did give the last movie a negative 300. So technically a negative 299 is a better movie. (laughs) <laughs> but I mean, this would at least be a positive number, you know, like it's, it's vastly better than that. And it's just weird like that, that like you can have two movies that are beat for beat the fucking same, but you have just small little differences and they make all the difference in the world when it comes to your viewing experience with them. And Russell Crowe is fantastic. He says like, cuckoo. 
randomly throughout the movie. And I just found it delightful. There's a scene <laughs> where he rides a Vespa from Italy to Spain. Which is a good amount of distance. And he does it on a Vespa. Which is terrible, but also <laughs> adorable. Because <laughs> he just looks so cool and cute on his Vespa with his little priest garb and his hat. And his like 1980s priest rock star shades he's got going on. Yeah. And you could just see him like riding through the like the Italian, French, and Spanish countryside just riding his little Vespa going, ciao. <laughs> He's quirky enough to where, like, you believe that his character would just do this and not bat an eye, for yeah. sure. And it just, it somehow works. And I think that that's the best explanation of this movie. That And, and like, how you know Russell Crowe makes this movie better. Because he makes riding a Vespa an inconceivable distance for a Vespa seemed kind of cool. Uh, that's all I got. Justin, what about you? No, I, I definitely feel what you're saying when you're talking about this one. Like the, the one thing I did enjoy about watching both of these movies was really what we're doing now is comparing them because you could watch these two movies back to back and it is a great lesson in what makes a movie higher quality than another one. It really does when they can have like Sterling was saying, like there are, there are parts of this movie that are almost the exact same as pray for the devil. There are concepts in here that, that are the exact same. There are events that occur that are the exact same. I would even argue you even have two similar protagonists, you know, two kind of offbeat, non-traditional, kind of rebellious people trying to do exorcisms, trying to do exorcisms. The, you, you even have kind of some similar character beats in this. But like you said, Russell Crowe, is just is a is a great actor and it shows in this because even when the material is not the best he elevates it with his acting skill the script even though this movie it doesn't reinvent the wheel it doesn't necessarily do anything interesting or add anything to the exorcist exorcism whatever you want to call it this sect or this genre or this type of movie, it doesn't add anything to it, but at least I, but at least the story is somewhat cohesive. At least I understand what happened at the beginning, what happens in the middle and what happens at the end. There is some, it's not a lot, but there is some character development, you know, that they do take some time to, kind of give you some development with some of the, with, with, with at least the characters that matter. There are some scenes that are relatively strong. Like, like they're not the greatest scenes. They're not like excellent scenes or anything like that. I don't know if I'll even remember them in another week per se, but 
they are effective in telling the story, at least. There, there are some scenes where I'm like, okay, that got me to where I needed to go. I understand what is happening, and now we are moving on. Like, it at least has that going for it. Um, it's it's way more cohesive than the Pray for the Devil was. It has, it, it, it's, it has way better scenes. It's way better acted. The casting is just a lot overall, even, even the, the possessed child is better in this, you know, I think. So even just from top to bottom, when, when you're making these comparisons, you can just see where this is of much higher quality. Um, Now, all that being said, still, I wouldn't call this a great movie. It's okay. It was kind of middle of the road for me. It's not terrible. Um, but, but at the same time, I don't think Russell Crowe, even with all the, the great acting he was doing, and he really is good in this. Um, not even he can really elevate this to anything beyond just what we've seen from a lot of these exorcist exorcism type of movies. So he doesn't elevate it to like, to where you're like, Oh, this is a good movie, but it was a passable one. It was watchable, way more watchable than pray for the devil. So I will give the movie that I had a a much better time watching this than I did that movie. And I think that's saying something. I think it, 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 it was a nice reminder of just how much, Acting comes into play with these movies. It's a reminder of just how much, uh, how much the skill of a writer matters and, and, and how a person sees certain things and how they write certain things. It, It really shows just the value of, of how, of how a skilled writer can make, can, can make something more meaningful than one who isn't as skilled all of that is there. And Russell Crowe is an example of why we pay these actors the big bucks. I, I, you know, this is a real good lesson in understanding why you pay an actor, why they come in, how they can elevate material, because we saw it right here before our eyes, because he is uh, in a lot of ways, the sister and character in a lot of ways, it is the it is a similar character, but man, Russell Crowe brought a charisma, and he had a way with the lines, and he had a way with his delivery, and he had a way with his interactions with the other actors and actresses. Where that does shine through when the movie is not really giving me anything new, it's not really giving me anything spellbound, and a lot of times he does shine through. So, yeah. I would say that I enjoyed this a lot more than I did the second one. And it's almost very enlightening in a way, just how much it reminded me of things that maybe I already knew, but sometimes you take for granted as far as just the acting skill, the writing and things of that nature. I want to add one quick thing. I also forgot how much I love a rated R possession movie because there's just something fun about a child being like, I'm going to fuck your mom in hell. 
that you don't get in PG-13 movies. True. Like it's Was just, Pray for the Devil PG-13? I, I thought so. Know. Probably. I think so. All I know is that little girl wasn't fucking mothers in hell like the little boy was in The Pope's Exorcist. So. True. Yeah. Uh, Heather, what about you? Yeah, I think the movie is definitely a lot more coherent. And it's it's funny because like the talking about an actor elevating a performance, like that definitely is 100% what Russell Crowe does in this movie. Um, I mean, and, and I know we've talked in previous episodes about how sometimes a performance is way better than a movie is. You know, like I think of, I think it was Don't Worry Darling, where we talked about that, where Florence Pugh and Chris Pine, like their performances were way better than the movie deserved it to be. You know what I mean? And I mean, honestly, if we're talking about it, kind of throwing back to the beginning of this episode, Dark Knight, uh, Heath Ledger elevated that movie. Like it's a good movie on its own, but would it be as good without him in that role? No, definitely not not even close. So there it's, it really does remind you of like that performance is so important. The, the delivery of a performance can be so make or break for a movie. And this is a prime example of that because without that Russell Crowe performance, we get pray for the devil. Like (laughs) that's really kind of what it is. Um, but I will say that, um, Along with along with it, yes, it's very similar to Pray for the Devil. For me, I feel like this is a movie that I feel like they actually did at least do some more research as far as what's involved with exorcisms and what's the story behind it, what's the history behind it a little bit more. Um, and I know that uh, Russell Crowe's character is based off of like a real uh, priest from back then. And so maybe that's part of it too, of like, you know, you, the, the documentation of what they've seen with that, they can kind of do, they did a little bit more research for this movie. And I think that shows, and I think that's why the story feels a little bit more coherent as well. And it makes more sense. Some of the things that they do, some of the things that are said and done in this movie make more sense to me here than they did in pray for the devil, because, you know, it just, it feels a little bit more realistic to at that time what would have been happening what would have been said what the priest would have done and I appreciated that aspect of it you know with my obviously limited knowledge of what that actually would have been like I believed this story more I believed this exorcism more than I did pray for the devil you know so I feel like and and also Russell Crowe yes elevating it but I think part of the reason that he elevates it is because the 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 priest that he gives us is uh, he feels relatable. He feels like somebody you'd want to talk to somebody you would feel fine confessing things to that. You don't feel like he's going to be just this judgmental priest. Like one of that other, one of the other guys was in, you know, the Vatican. So I, I feel like that is why you like his character so much. You're just like, yeah, I, if I was going to do confession, this might be the father I'd go to for it. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I feel like that's the vibe that he gives you in this movie. Yeah. Like riding a Vespa and just kind of being his own person talking about, you know, 
his his books and talking about like the jokes that he makes and things like that. And it just it oddly in a way in that aspect reminded me of the good exorcist that uh that uh Josh that was on our podcast did because of the whole when this is your day to day and this is your life, like you gotta have some sort of like either humor or nonchalantness about what you're doing because it's your day to day job. It's an everyday job for him and you can feel that from his like presence that he gives. And that's what it is. Like Russell Crowe brings a presence to this role that is just not felt um, with any other characters really in this movie, but especially not when you compare it to pray for the devil. And that's why while this movie is not amazing by any means, the, uh, the significant amount better that it is than pray for the devil is insane. Like it's just like a night and day difference of the movie likability in my opinion. So is it an amazing, great, perfect, uh, awesome movie that I would say, you know, is on my list to watch over and over? No. Um, but it is okay. It's an okay movie and maybe it feels more okay because of the one we watched before it, but it's fine. It's a fine movie, and it is mostly due to Russell Crowe's performance, for sure. Recommendations and score. Yeah, I do agree with you, Heather. One one thing you said really kind of triggered something for me. Pray for the Devil feels like they based exorcisms off just shit they saw in uh, like other movies and TV shows. Yes. They're like, this was the thing that happened, right? Let's throw it in. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. And, and, and Pope's Exorcist feels like maybe they read a book about them. You know, like actually maybe read something that was more akin to what the Catholic Church does. I'll get more into that later because there's one thing that they distinctly do in the exorcisms in this movie that they don't do in the other movie that, as far as I know, is more accurate to exorcisms. I could be wrong on that because it's not like I've ever seen an actual exorcism, but I do know a semi-decent amount about demonology and the way that intertwines with things, it would make more sense. Like that this movie does that the other movie doesn't. Uh, Recommendations and scores? Yeah. Yep. I just want to keep going. Uh, I'll go first again. I kind of recommend it. Don't, I mean, it's no longer in theaters. Don't buy it. Don't, you know, see it in a dollar movie. If it's streaming on a service you already have, sure, watch it. If you've got nothing else that you want to watch more. If you're just going, I want to watch a movie and I don't care what movie it is and nothing else catches your eye before you get to this movie, Sure. Especially if you just want to see, you know, just a very good Russell Crowe performance. It's nowhere near his best. It's also nowhere near his worst. It's just a a good Russell Crowe performance. I'm not going to say no, don't watch this. I would recommend it in those very strictest of circumstances. Outside of that, like I said, if anything else catches your eye, even a movie you've seen like 120 times, but you're just like, man, I could watch that again. Yeah, sure. Pick that one over this. You're sure. But 
you know, it's not. There are definitely worse things you could watch. If you're going, I need to watch a devil possession movie and my only choices are the Pope's exorcist or pray for the devil. Do yourself a favor and watch the Pope's exorcist every time. If you ever think I should watch pray for the devil, just watch the Pope's exorcist instead. Just do that. This is the most accurate like recommendation you've ever made. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I'm stating how much I actually weirdly enjoyed Russell Crowe in this movie. I'm gonna, I get it. That man's got charisma for days, though. Yeah. I'm going to give this movie a 40. I... Missed little kids saying, I'm going to fuck your mom in possession movies out of a hundred. I feel weird giving this movie a 40. I feel like that's super high. But when you compare it to the other, you feel like, yeah. Well, okay. I'm partially worried <laughs> that I'm giving it too high a score because I watched it like an 30 minutes after I watched the last one. And I'm like, it's a night and day difference i'm worried i'm giving this movie too high of a score but that's just the mood that that's the number i'm feeling so i'm gonna go with that 40 uh justin what about you yeah um i'm in a similar ballpark i'm gonna recommend as a rental um i i wouldn't own this or anything like that but you know, Don't say that after a, you know I bought this for us to do. <laughs> That's insulting. Jason is of the <laughs> devil. <laughs> I must be. I must be because doing the uh, devil's work. Yeah, this is my fault. This is my fault that we had to watch these. But um, but but if it or maybe I'm of the angels because I blessed you with a Russell Crowe performance. So. It wasn't yeah, that damn blessed. good. Quit trying to act be like blessed. that. <laughs> be blessed, lady and gentlemen. Quit be acting blessed. like this was fucking Gladiator or Nice Guys or something like that, Justin. <laughs> it's not. It was compared to Prey. It was compared to Big Prey. Justin. It was. Pu me punching myself in the dick over and over again was better than Pray for the Devil. You're really like setting the bar too low for better than. I, I probably would enjoy that more than pray for the devil. I but are you would. sorry that you saw this Just Russell Crowe performance? No, That's I'm not sorry. Question. I watched. See? I'm not sorry. I got this performance. I'm just saying, Justin, you're overselling it a little bit. <laughs> I'm just saying you got blessed a bit, a, a, bl a bit. What do you call a small blessing? I don't know. Justin, I got okayed a bit. I don't know. Okay. I got okayed. I got okayed by some angels. <laughs> okay. Okay, we'll go with that. But but I need to know that. Come on, Center fans, tell me. What is a, what do you call it's not a, if it's not a big blessing, what's a small one? What do you call that? A tidbit of a blessing. A, a tiny one. <laughs> A tiny one. What do you a call tiny a tiny blessing? 
Yeah, what do you call a tiny blessing? Like, what is the word? There needs like to be a blessing a word that it. you would give to a cell. <laughs> we need to know the word. I need a word for that. There, there yes. should be a word for that, and I'm upset that if there isn't one. But anyway, back to this. Um, yeah, you know, if like you said, you could do a lot worse with some of these other movies and we did do worse with pray for the devil. So this is, um, and this is definitely better than that. And, and it was fine, man. It's a fine movie. If this is, you're looking for, like you said, an exorcism movie, something like this, something kind of scary. And you just want to watch something a little different from the lineup that's available. I sure, you know, You'll watch it and you'll be like, okay, cool. That that was all right. And then you can go on with your life and not feel like you just absolutely, completely wasted your time. So I'll at least give the movie that. Um, I'm actually a little higher than you. I was I was in the middle on it overall. So I was at a 50, and then I was gonna reward Russell Crowe five more points. So we'll go. So that'll put it just a little above in the middle, but kind of the thumb tilting upward. Not exactly a thumbs up, but, you know, we're we're tilting towards that way. If it could have done just a little bit more, I think, story-wise, and it would have been a little bit more effective uh, at the end, I think it could have gone, it could have gotten higher, but it didn't. So this is where it is. We'll go with, we'll go with 55 um, demons shape shifting as your naked X out of a hundred. Heather, what about you? Yeah, I mean, I I would also say I recommend it honestly for the Russell Crowe performance because I I do just think it's such a like unique and different type of performance than I've seen him do before, and he does do it well. And I mean, yeah, I, I, I think it's worth, again, don't go out and buy it. Don't go necessarily to a theater to see it. I think, yeah, uh, Sterling, I think you had kind of the perfect recommendation for <laughs> the people that you would recommend this to. Um, so, yeah, I, I would say, sure, watch it if, you know, you're you're just looking for a mediocre, like, whatever horror slash exorcism movie. You know, it's... It's definitely not the worst that we've seen, but it's not by any means the best either. I do think it has some elements I appreciated as far as, like we said, the research of, I feel like they did actually research and and base some of this off of stuff they actually, you know, read up on more than uh, Pray for the Devil did. So I did appreciate that about it. Um, Yeah, I I just think, um, and and just the conversations that... um, you know, Father Gabriel would have with some of the other people. I really appreciated the the genuine conversation that they felt like they were having. And his dynamic pretty much with everybody in this movie was 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 decent. So um and again I do think the the well not again, but the boy uh did a good job being the possessed child. Uh definitely better than the girl was in the other movie. And yeah, I it's um it's got elements to appreciate about it, but again, it's not anything to write home about. So 
Um, I'll, I, I was, I'm very similar to, uh, Jason in this one, but I'm just going to really go middle of the road with it. Um, I'm going to give this 50, um, you know, vomiting up Cardinals, I think it was out of a hundred. <laughs> uh, that brings this official Cine score to a 48. So we had a negative 87 and a 48. My goodness. Uh, spoilers. Yep. Yep. Spoilers. The the things I want to touch on real quick kind of have to do with the what I brought up earlier when it comes to demonology. So traditionally in demonology, something this movie to me got right that Pray for the Devil did not was the fact of knowing the name of the demon is supposed to help you gain like leverage or power over it or you know, influence over it's it, it, it. That is a step into stopping a demon is to know its name. It's a very important thing in traditional demonology is knowing what demon you are, you are confronting or battling or however you want to word it. And so I appreciated that in this movie, that that was a big thing. I appreciated the fact, I mean, I think that they got a little, a little too deep into demonology when they're like, it's Asmodeus, the king of hell. Your average moviegoer isn't going to know the difference in the tiers of demons that demonology has. Most people understand that the devil is the king of hell. No. The devil is the ruler of hell. There are kings of hell. There are princes. There are dukes. There are generals. There are so many levels of demons. It's something I brought up also when we did Hereditary. Whenever the ultimate evil was Piedmon, who is a prince of hell. So Piedmon would be lower in the scale than Asmodeus or something like that. You know, it's kind of like uh, how in movies they'll confuse... Beelzebub with the devil. Beelzebub's a different demon. Leviathan's a different demon. Uh, you know, there are so many levels of different demons and all these other things than those things. So I thought they were getting a little too deep by going with Osmodius, although I do appreciate it slightly because I also hate it when exorcism movies have the devil possessing somebody. Like it is actually Satan and is Lucifer. That makes no sense to me. Just for the sheer fact the devil is not omnipotent in in demonology or in Christian uh, lore. So he can't be everywhere all at once. So if the devil is possessing this person, that's got to be the most important person that has ever existed. If the devil is going to take time out of his busy-ass schedule... To stop doing all the other things the devil has to do to just come possess you. You know, so I appreciated they didn't go with the devil. I was just kind of surprised they went with somebody like Osmodius 
the king, a king of hell to do this. Um, but that is fairly accurate, at least. Asmodeus is a king of hell. Asmodeus would be a very high-level demon. So if you're going for somebody that would have the most ability to corrupt and all this other stuff, Osmodius would be up there in the tiers of demonology. I just wonder if that's going to miss the mark with your average moviegoer going into this. Um, One thing I really appreciated about this movie, and like I said, it's some of the small details that they do just infinitely better that nails it. A, the opening sequence in this is fantastic. Fantastic. I was going to say that. Yep, it is. But I also like how it comes a little bit full circle with, you see him pull out that little amulet. And he's waving it in front of the guy's face while he's talking to him. You track the guy's, the eyes are on it the whole time. And then later in the movie, when he gets to the little boy, he starts doing the same thing. But then you see that those CGI demon eyes follow it instead of the boy's eyes. I liked that little detail because it's like a little full circle moment. Now you actually know what he was looking for in the opening scene, how he knew it wasn't an actual possession. That's an actual detail. That's a through point story element. And it shows they cared a little more that they actually have throughput story elements that aren't, oh, yeah, it's my daughter. Like, that's the only through point in the, in the fucking Pray for the Devil. It's my daughter. <laughs> Outside of that, there's no through point. Like, through, like that shows vastly different That's qualities true. of writing. Through point story elements. The fact that afterwards they were like, you killed a pig and you were saying, like, you, there was a possession. He's like, no, that was theatrics. I'm like, good. I, I liked that explanation. I liked that thing. It was a little bit of theater to help a guy who is having a mental break to help him calm down, to help kind of snap him out of it a little bit, just at least enough to where you could then get help from professionals that actually would know how to handle a mental health crisis. I liked that element. You know, I liked the fact that this movie openly acknowledged mental health versus demonic possession and then actually showed you examples of that. But then I like the fact that it also showed that if you don't even take the mental health crises serious enough, there can still be severely tragic or negative consequences of just not taking it serious enough. You're, you're, you might acknowledge that it's a mental health crisis, not a demon possession, but that can't be where your job ends. You have to also make sure that they get the help they need because that is just as vital. Even if you are an exorcist, that is just as vital as performing an exorcist on someone that needs it. I like that it gave that distinct difference and that that was an important thing in this story that by just not taking it serious enough, he did the right thing, acknowledged it was mental illness and all those things, but then it plagued him that he did not take it serious enough that there was still a terrible outcome from it. 
That and, and is, that's and that's a great point in comparison to the other movie too, dude. Because like they had a similar character, the sister who was possessed and everything like that. And in Pray for the Devil, you know, she dies or whatever. And they made it this whole thing of, well, the demon tricked you guys. You know, that was the demon retreating. And you thought he was, you thought the demon was gone, but then the demon came back and now the girl is dead. And man, if they had went the route that this did, where maybe the sister does die afterwards, and it's because, well, she didn't get the mental help that she needed. And that part is important too. And then that would have kind of came full circle with the therapist and everybody else you had in Pray for the Devil. And see, that's a perfect example of two movies doing something similar, like the the Exorcist doesn't save someone. But look how much better it was done in the Pope's Exorcist. You know, in all honesty, while I was saying, when I was talking about those scenes, like in the through points and all those other things, I'm not going to lie, I kind of actually already want to change my score. I actually do want to go a little bit higher on this movie. Because because well, of the details. Well, it's not the best writing and it's not the best story. It's competent writing. Yep. Those I might not like the outcome of this movie or overall the complete execution of this movie. But there are things in this movie that are done way better than a lot of movies. You know, like I said, we've got two examples right here. One making constantly bad decisions when it comes to writing and storytelling and character development and all of these things that this movie doesn't have. I I think the difference is I still don't necessarily completely like the story in The Pope's Exorcist when it's all said and done. But it's competent writing. It, you know what I mean? It's competent writing. It's competent directing. It's competent acting. I just don't like the overall story, I guess, on a personal preference type of thing, maybe. That's fair. Yeah. But it's still executed. The details are still executed right in this movie. You know? And so maybe that's the difference. And then, I mean, so, you know what? I... This is the first time I think we've ever I've ever actually gone into this and then like legitimately changed my score. Yeah. I know we've joked about it and all these other things, but I think I really am gonna change my score. I I will I I, I hate to do this. I do. I'm gonna move it to a fifty. And that's a big jump to me. Join this side, Sterling. <laughs> I am. I I think I have to. I don't think I can give it any less than a midpoint, realistically speaking, with as competent as the little details were. Yeah. I think that that is unfair to this movie. I think I do have to give it a 50. I feel like we need a special sound for when you change your score. <laughs> I, I don't have a yeah. special sound, but I can... Uh, That'll work. <laughs> there it is. You've uh, you've only done that one other time that I can think of where you went. Uh, I, I I think you've changed it and gone lower before, but changed it and went higher. The only other time I can remember you of. doing that was <laughs> No Way Home. 
was Spider-Man No Way Home. And you just gave it one point higher. Yes. <laughs> but this <laughs> but this is much higher, though. This is the first time in the CineScore era, though, of the podcast yeah. that we have yeah. done that. Like I said, I know we've joked about it. Uh, new CineScore is a 52. Hey, there we go. Cool. And I think that that's fair. Because, like, I'm just, when I'm recounting those details, and I'm like, those are details. Those are yeah. minute things that this movie does right, which shows attention, that shows craftsmanship, that shows <laughs> proper narrative storytelling. That's a big deal. Yeah. They cared about the story, you could tell. Yeah. So I'll give it that. Um, because also like the opening sequence at first I was, when I first, when this movie first started and I knew Justin was already, had already started the Pope's exorcist. I wanted to text him and go, what in animatronic hell was that crazy ass pig that they have in this movie? Because <laughs> when you first see that pig, it is obvious that is not a pig. And if it is a pig, holy fuck, that is a weird looking pig. He looks like a robot pig. But then when you see what happens with it and they shoot it in the head and it's like all that stuff, I was like, okay, I get the point of the pig now. Like you won me over with your weird puppet pig. Um, And I'm not going to lie. There's one scene in this movie. It's a weird scene. And I weirdly got a kick out of it. It made me laugh. I don't think it was meant to make me laugh. I think it was meant to scare me. It made me laugh. But man, that scene when the Pope is in, in the hospital bed. And he just gets up and vomits blood all over that guy. Oh, man. I chuckled. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't mean that in an insulting way to this movie. I just thought it was kind of funny. He just sat there and it's he just, rah, it just shoots its jet of just blood yeah. all over that cardinal. It, it made me giggle. I just thought it was kind of funny. That's how that played out. You know, but I mean, you know, I mean, one of the scenes I I, I liked that they kind of told some backstory. Because that was an important thing with how the demon would, you know, try to corrupt you and, and, and break your faith and break your, your, your resolve, you know. I liked those story elements. There were just little things that gave you slight backstories on both, the, you know, the Russell Crowe character and the other guy that just kind of help flesh them out, you know? And then you get little bit, little scenes later of them confronting their themselves about it, you know? Those are just nice little details that help give your characters depth. Well, yeah. And it's also like with the, the complaint we've had a lot about just unnecessary exposition for the sake of the audience watching, they served that well here because they're confessing, you know, they're doing confession to tell what it is that their backstory is talking about. And that worked really well in this scenario. Yeah. It, it, it gave them a reason to kind of tell and not show that makes sense within the movie though. 
more often than not, I know it's one of Jason's favorite catchphrases, show don't tell. But this movie, like, it leans into the narrative to tell and not show, you know, to not just have a flashback and all this other stuff. It makes sense to, like, build it into their confessing, you know, to help relieve themselves of the, you know, the burdens to not give the demon ammo or to not, you know, to right. help relieve themselves of Effectively the burden. Effectively get rid of it, yeah. Yeah, it, it makes sense within the narrative to do it that way. And... They did that effectively, you know, like I liked the, I, and I like the way the demon twists those things, you know, like, you know, the, the, the assistant priest, he knows that, you know, the girl he loved, he loved her and it wasn't just, you know, oh, I'm, you know, fucking some woman thing. He knows that, but I like how the devil uses it against him so effectively that he's just like, no, no, it's not like that. You know, he gets defensive about it. Same with the Russell Crowe character. He knows that he directly did not kill that woman. You know, it, he confesses it. He even talks about it and all those things. He talks about how he did not kill the other soldiers in his in his unit in the war. He knows he did not kill them. But it's the survivor's guilt in both situations that weighs so heavily on him. You know? That even though he didn't do anything wrong, he just didn't do enough maybe in both situations. That that still weighs on him. And the, the devil uses that against him. You know? Or the demon does. And so that was... Those are nice little things to help balance it out. You know? I mean, I, I did think it was funny at a certain point in this movie after he lets the demon possess him. The, the, the whole reason for them being there, the family and all that other stuff, they just fuck right off to never be heard from again. Like, I thought that that was kind of a weird choice for them to fuck off and just be God for the end of the movie. You know, that was a little weird. Um... But yeah, it's just, it, it was a weird, unique way. I mean, that was a choice that I did not agree with in this movie, you know. But, you know, I will say this. The actual battle that Russell Crowe has with Asmodeus whenever he possesses him versus the the, the battle that Sister Betty has with whatever, you know, nameless demon number five is that's in her. I thought this one was done better, you know, like it actually seems like an actual confrontation and all these other things where the other one just seems like she just kind of falls into a random well of holy water that saves her. Like that, you know, that seems more like a happy accident, but now she's just the number one exorcist that the devil actually wants to attack. You know, because she fell into some water. Whereas this one, actually, you see why this is the Pope's favorite exorcist, kind of. Like, you know, and I like the fact that they call him out on his pride over and over again. Like, Yeah. You know, and I, I, I'm not going to lie. Russell Crowe's so charming that at the end of the movie when he's like, yeah, beat that demon's ass, baby. 
You're kind of like, oh, <laughs> oh, Gabriel. You silly man. Yeah. You silly, prideful man. Like, it, it just kind of seemed like a, a, like, I like the fact that he did that, but still doesn't change who he is. Like, he, he's like, yeah, I just do my job, man. It's what I do. I will say this. It's kind of weird. Do you guys remember that that version of Scooby-Doo where him and Shaggy accidentally opened up that chest and they release all the ghosts out? Yeah. I did think it's weird that this movie ends kind of like on an exorcist version of that. Of like, well, we got 199 other demons to go track down. Right. Just got to go find these sulfur wells <laughs> randomly around the world. Time to start our season of... Gabriel and the 99 or 199 demons or whatever. It just weirdly reminded me of Scooby-Doo. I did think it was a little odd though, that it was almost, it almost felt like a guilt trip that he gave the other father about doing it where he's like, what do you say? Are you going to answer God's calling to help me do this? Like, it felt like a very weird guilt trip thing at the end there with it. See, to me, it didn't come across that because that just sounds like something that this fucking asshole would say. (laughs) You're, I guess that's true. Yeah, that's fair. You're like, hey, not like, hey, are you going to help me out? Like, hey, are you going to answer God's calling, motherfucker? Yeah. Kind of like, did you read my books? You should read my books. Like that whole thing. Yeah. That's a weirdly funny joke, too. Yeah, I liked that. When the guy's like, oh, I read your article in this. He's like, oh, did you read my books? And the guy's like, no. And he's like, they're good books. And then at the end, he's like, <laughs> he wrote a lot of books. They're good books. I was like. God, I like that's that, a yeah. dumb joke that weirdly works. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was I was kind of yeah. mad at myself for laughing at it because it's just <laughs> the most it's it's the weird movie equivalent of a knock knock joke. But it worked. <laughs> yeah, I'm it like, did. Ah, fuck you, movie. You made me chuckle at the end. Because they ended it on the note that father gabriel would have ended on like that's exactly how he would have wanted to end a movie about himself probably (laughs) that's a fair assessment that at least the character the way they portray him in the movie that like let's just argue that is that actual person's personality that i guess if that guy were to have a movie written about him that's how he would want it to end i suppose if this like if this is an accurate portrayal so it at least that's a narrative through story that fits Within the, like, you know, the realm of what this movie presents is this character, and this is a movie about him. This is what he would want it. That's an accurate assessment, Heather. Uh, Heather, keep going. What are, what are your spoilery thoughts about this? Yeah, I think that the only, just to kind of start off with something a little bit that I wasn't a huge fan of with this is it felt like it ramped up and revved up the dramatic aspect of it at the very end of it and it 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 felt a little bit um i guess jarring in a way because you know you get this whole build up and this whole actual story being kind of fleshed out a little bit and then um or maybe it actually might have been more the fact that you know the he gets the the demon out of the boy and then is possessed himself And then it felt like at the end, whenever the family leaves and it's just Father Gabriel and the other father there, it felt to me like that was supposed to be like the ultimate like 
super bad, like crazy, like battle for the soul in that moment. And I feel like that was a much quicker and much less difficult challenge to get the demon out of him than it was out of the boy. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? It just felt very like, oh, okay, well, this was way easier than we thought it was going to be. And you're supposed to be the big bad. Like, it was a little weird, you know? That's, I, 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 I kind of agree with you. I think the argument the movie would make is that Father Gabriel would be more mentally prepared to keep the demon at bay once it's inside him than the little boy would. But I still get what you're saying, that it's just like, for an hour and a half, you're fighting this demon and this little boy, but you beat him in 10 minutes when he's in you. Like, well, I get what you're is, saying with that. Yeah, and it felt like that moment was more of supposed to be Father, I think, Father Escobar's arc with it. And, with, yeah. and it was like, if that was maybe actually Father Gabriel that was doing that exorcism, it might have made more sense for it to go faster. But with this other guy who's struggling and he's still new to this and all these things, the fact that he did that quicker than Father Gabriel got it out of the boy was just very weird to me. <laughs> but again, you're right. It could be because the the conduit that the demon was using, he was a lot more, you know, in a state where he could fight it better. So that makes sense too. But it was just a, an odd choice to be like, oh, well, this uh, ended a lot quicker than I thought it was going to end, <laughs> you know, um, because of the setup they do with it where the family has to leave, get out of here. We got to get rid of this thing once and for all. And we're down in the dungeon, whatever thing that was below the house. Like it, it just the setup for it was like it was going to be this big thing. And it just wasn't really <laughs> like I just and then the theatrics and the dramatics of it kind of kicked up a notch after um, I think probably at the point when the the demon also goes into the sister. Uh, so both of the kids are possessed at that moment. And then it gets I think from that point on, it just got real crazy and extravagant really fast with the story. And not to say that it was like this is all super dumb. Like it's not like they did it in a dumb way, but it was just like it went from like zero to 60 real quick with like <laughs> how they were progressing the story, I guess in a way. So that was a, an interesting thing that I could have maybe liked done differently, but again, still, you know, leaps and bounds better than other versions of it that I've seen. Um, and yeah, I do think, um, yeah, the details really, and the more we've talked about it when you were, when you were talking Sterling, like the, the details really are impressive. I think in this movie too, even like the, the questions that of, you know, debate that the father has, um, father Gabriel, when he's talking to, I don't remember the guy's name at the very beginning. And he's like, you know, questioning, like, you know, do you think that, you know, Michael, you know, thought this or the angel Michael thought this, like, I, I don't remember what he asked, but it was just like, Legit questions that I feel are, you know, like I again, they just put thought into what they discussed and the topics they went over in this film, I think. Um, and it, it's fair to say that, you know, maybe it's not your cup of tea. Maybe just a story type of the way the type of story in general might not be up your alley. And that is totally fair. 
And that makes sense if it's like, it wasn't bad. It wasn't a poorly told story or whatever. It's just, I didn't care for the story. I feel like I've had many movies like that. I feel like that's kind of, um, not to get too crazy into it, but I feel like that was how I kind of was about Parasite. Like it was a very well told movie, very well told story, great acting. Everything about it was great, but just the story in general, I was just like, I just didn't care enough about the story as much as other people did. You know what I mean? So I feel like it's kind of a similar vibe to that where there was nothing necessarily wrong with how they were telling a story, but I could see why people might be like, this is just not my type of story. Um, You heard it here first. Heather says the Pope's exorcist (laughs) is just like Parasite. (laughs) That is word for word. What I said, Jason is going to disown me as a friend at this point in life. It was nice knowing you, Jason. I'm very sorry for the way we've parted ways now, but <laughs> yeah, it's officially over. It's over. Oh no! If he's not on <laughs> next week, or I'm not, it might just be Sterling next week at this point. You know? Yeah, maybe. Like it's gonna be <laughs> a weird custody own. thing. Like, well, Jason's <laughs> on this week, so Heather can't be on, but Heather will be right. on next week. But Jason yeah. really wants to see that movie, so. Maybe we have to work out a custody <laughs> agreement for that movie to where Heather's on the first hour of the podcast, but Jason's on the second hour. It's a very serious offense that I have committed against Jason here. But anyways, um, <laughs> uh, yeah, but I think I, and, and all that to just say that, yeah, I think that I, I really appreciated your take on that, Sterling, of like, didn't really not my type of story, but details were on point. You know what I mean? Like it just, and that makes sense. And, and for me, I, you know, I do sometimes appreciate stories where they might talk about these like faith elements in a realistic way. They might talk about it in a human way of, I have these questions. I believe this, but you know what? I have these questions and I don't know how to feel about it. I always appreciate movies that will do that because I feel like that's much more relatable and much more, honest with like the human condition in general. Um, But yeah, I think uh, it just really, I don't know. I I really just think Russell Crowe. Yeah. He, he just did something here where you care about his character. You care what happens. You care what he's thinking. You want to know like, what is his backstory? What is the thing that he feels like he needs to still confess? Like you, you just, you're intrigued by him you're interested in what he's going to do. Um, and, and that's great acting and that's great character building for him, you know? And I also liked that the, like kind of that opening scene you were talking about was really, it really was good. And um, I liked that they, first of all, the, even though it was for the dramatics and the theatrics of it to have the pig, I I liked that because it actually made sense to me because even say he, you know, was trying to say, Oh, I think this is a real demon that's possessed you. Um, I, I just, I do remember like biblically there is a story about that where, you know, they're casting out a demon and they put it into a pig. Like that was kind of very accurate biblically to something that did happen back in the day of Jesus. And so I, I, I like that they added that detail here And, um, you know, even, yeah. And I'm also like, it just would make sense in general to do that too, because if you're trying to cast out a demon and like, where does it go? 
you know, like, why not try to have like an, and something else that it goes into that isn't a human, you know what I mean? Like, I, I think that that, not to say that, you know, we should be possessing animals, but you know what I'm saying? Like, I'm just saying like, I feel like they should have a fail safe of, okay, we're going to go in here and try to exercise this demon, but what kind of conduit is it going to go into once we do that? Is it just disappearing into the air? Like, I just felt felt like they really put thought into what they were doing with that. So, yeah, and, and it's just not something that I've seen personally other movies about demonic possession do. So I appreciated that they kind of added that, made it a little bit different than other stories I had seen with that. Um, and the fact that, like Sterling said, they talk about mental health more in this and that that is a very real thing. And um, I think he even mentions, or Father Gabriel mentions in this, that most times it has not been a demonic possession when he's gone. You know, he's like, what did he say? Like 90 something percent of the ones it's been this and not a demonic possession. And I feel like that was appreciated too of like, yeah, not kind of very opposite of pray for the devil where everybody's possessed. But that's what it is. That's the only thing it could ever be. <laughs> this movie took a very different approach to that. And it's, it's like, it could be that, but it could also be this. And here's like Sterling said, cases of this and cases of this. So yeah, it, it just really was uh, something I appreciated that they added to that of like, there are other explanations. And um, as somebody who does exorcisms, I can tell the difference and I can tell you that this is real and this is also real. Mental health is a thing, you know? And um, so, yeah, I, I thought that that was, that was really good too. I feel like the mob was kind of a weirdly a non-factor in this movie though. Like she was, I, she had moments where her story was sort of, important to other things happening but for the most part not really she was just kind of there because you needed a reason for the kids to be there i feel like or for at least the boy to be there so i feel like that uh definitely was probably a weaker story point in it but i did also like father Escobar. i liked him i liked his story that they kind of had with him and um you know he uh Again, that, that that's got to be another new trope they're doing where we have to have the young, an inexperienced, attractive priest that we're training. Like, I feel like at least in these movies, that was a theme. That's weirdly normal. Um, yeah. It's it, maybe not the attractive part, but I mean, that even goes back to the exorcist of you have the one experienced person and the one that's never done one before. Yeah. Like that's a weirdly common thing. Like it's the, mm -hmm. it's the guy that travels to come do the exorcist and the guy that just is the guy from there. Yep. That's a weird trope also from the exorcist. Yep. That's true. Yeah. So it's, it's just one of those things where, and, and it served well, like I said, with this particular story, it served it well. And I liked the kind of progression they had with his character as well. And I also really liked his dynamic with Father Gabriel. I thought the two of them was a really good kind of duo uh, in this situation. So, yeah, I, I thought that was uh, that was a good addition to it. Um, I don't know. It's, it's hard to really think of <laughs> anything else because I feel like 
you, we've really kind of touched on all of the things that I think we all sort of agree are good about this movie, you know? So, but yeah, I, um, the more I'm talking about it, the more I'm like, you know what? I do appreciate this movie more. So I, I understand why you changed your score. Um, I'm keeping my score what it is, but the, there are elements that really are kind of impressive with the storytelling of this particular movie. One thing before I throw it to Justin, I really thought how it was really super cool when it's possessed Russell Crowe and the, the young hot priest comes down to that cave and he's just sitting on that throne and he threw that other guy's body to the side. And he's just sitting there holding that staff. It was actually kind of just a really cool visual. I just thought it was really cool. He's like sitting there like, yeah. I'm Damon Russell Crowe. Ha ha. Uh, Justin, what about you? All right. So, yeah, with this one, I think that just watching Pray for the Devil before this just, I mean, just it just brought so many things into perspective about why this is a superior movie, why it's just better written. Uh, 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 definitely a lot of the things that you guys already spoke about. I too agree that the opening scene was a very strong scene. It was a good, it was an effective attention grabber. I like that it was in, what were they speaking? Latin or? They mainly spoke Italian when they were speaking like normally, but the prayers were in Latin. Okay. But Russell Crowe's character would typically speak. Yeah. But he was speaking Italian. Yeah. Italian. So I like that too. I like that it was in what would what would be a native language for those people at this time and everything like that. It just felt a little more accurate to um, the time period and what was going on. So I thought that that was a nice touch. Whenever they did that and spoke in different languages and stuff, I think it just added an authenticity to the time that we were in. Um, Russell Crowe and the, and the father... Gabriel character, he he just sort of, he kind of had like a cool teacher vibe to him. Just the way that he reacted with the kids. Um, That's fair. Uh, the, the way that, you know, he obviously is this person who's well-versed and knowledgeable or maybe like a cool college professor. Like, you know, he had books out and stuff like that. So it's clear that he is a person who is, you know, he understands this craft and he is good at it. But at the same time, just those relatable human elements telling the jokes, the fact that he was a little bit rebellious, he didn't seem like this holier than thou pompous. I'm just this super great person who exercises these demons and I'm the only one who can do this or whatever the case may be. He didn't come off that way. So I and and I think that they did a good job making it a point to show you that that he's just not one of these people who falls in line. He has trouble with the authority with with the authority that's there at the church. He doesn't always get his way. They don't always agree with his methods or what he does and everything like that. But it, it just and I like that you had a character who could see both sides or a person who could kind of see both sides. He understood the importance of 
that some of these cases are not always demon possession and mental health. And he kind of was trying to juggle both of those things while at the same time being um, under the Pope and being kind of in the church. And so I like that at the beginning of it, they kind of show the hat, all the hats that this guy is kind of trying to wear. So I think that that was another just character element that they showed. And it didn't take a lot of scenes to show that we didn't have a person expositing that, but you could just tell from his interactions at the church that, you know, they made it a point to show that this is a real struggle. He's not only, it's not just about this great, perfect person fighting these demons and stuff. You know, there's a real balance that this man has to do with not only the demons, but the church. And sometimes balancing that and dealing with the humans in the church can be just as challenging as dealing with the demons inside of people. I think that that's a very important thing to say because, and that is often missed with a lot of these religious things and stuff like that, that they try to portray. I think it's always like, it's always so black and white. Like the humans are all good and the demons are all bad, but (laughs) sometimes dealing with people can be far worse. You know, it, it could be, sometimes that could be far more challenging, you know, dealing with people's just human prejudices and human error and, how humans interpret different things versus you. So I think that's an important thing to say that is often missed with these kind of movies. So, and I'm not saying that this did the greatest job of portraying that, but at least some of it was in there. So I, I can at least appreciate the, those layers that, that it had. Um, I liked the, 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 the kid that was demon possessed I liked his demon possession. And of course, some of the stuff we've seen before, the head turning around and all the, the, the yelling and the cussing and all of that stuff. It's not like any of this is new territory, but I think because of Russell Crowe's character and how he was interacting with the demon and there was sort of this game of chess that they were playing and outsmarting each other and trying to outdo each other. And the demon sort of, indicating to him his imperfections and his sins and stuff like that. And that's why he wasn't going to be able to do this. But I also like how it was kind of this game, how the demon had a plan. He wasn't just randomly possessing people or I'm just in this kid because look at me. I just love possessing the kids. You know, I like that there was this plan to use the kid to get to Russell Crowe to get to father Gabriel so that he could possess father Gabriel and then infiltrate the church. At least there was a plan. Like, I mean, in a lot of these movies, I think that that gets missed too. Like a lot of, I think a lot of people (laughs) like when they write demons and they write like this kind of stuff, they just tend to go, well, they're demons, right? And you know that demons are bad because of where you grow up and how much of an influence religion and demonology and all that stuff has on us. So we assume demons are bad and that's just it. They're just bad and they do things because they're bad. But I like how there was a plan here 
There was a methodology to this demon. He was actually trying to do something. So at least I could make sense of that. Like, okay, I see what he's trying to do. This kid is just a means to an end, you know? And so it felt like there was at least a plan uh, to what the, the demon was about, was doing. Um, I, I well, too real like, quick on, on that, uh, yeah. just to add to it real quick. Also the plan of uh, talking about how, because of the boy's trauma and that's why he was an easy sort of like, conduit to use is because the demon was using the the boy's trauma to be able to make him vulnerable. I thought that was a really cool detail as well. Yeah. Yeah. Good, good, good that you mentioned that. Yeah. The, the tragedy of the boy's father dying and this family kind of trying to move on from that, but you know, and this house inherited and all this kind of stuff. So yeah, but that's a good point. The they did talk about the trauma of that is what allowed this demon to be able to go in. So yeah, the, another good point. They just made it made it a point. So like you could at least see what this demon was trying to do, why he infiltrated who he infiltrated. It just felt like, and and this is what I mean by just superior writing to the other film. In the other film, it was just some vague shit like, well, you're one of God's chosen soldiers so that's why the 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 this is hap this demon is accosting you well what about the students are they not god's chosen soldiers did the deed the demons Isn't not that why care about them do they not you know so sometimes man yes you can say this thing and it sounds like something we hear because everybody's heard that before oh your god's chosen this or that or this that and the other but in a movie, without proper writing and explanations and things like that, it just sort of brought a lack of importance to everybody else. So, so that means that the, the priest teaching the classes, is he not important enough to be accosted? Is, are any of these other important people that are way more important than you, you, you know, you're, you're a nun. You just got here. Like, what about all these other important people? No demons are accosting them. So, you know, you just bring up a myriad of problems when your plan and your writing and your execution is not as thought out. And in this, at least the opposition had a plan. The antagonist, regardless of the demon stuff in there, the antagonist had a plan. And there was some, so there was some connective tissue between the protagonist and the antagonist in the Pope exorcist. Um, but to Father Escobar, I like that too. Uh, you know, the Robin, so to speak, to Father Gabriel's Batman. He was a better Robin than what we had in um, Pray for the Devil because we had another side character who was also a, 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 an exorcist who wasn't as good who was inexperienced, who was trying to team up and help Sister Anne. So, again, similar character and plot elements, but it was done so much better in The Pope's Exorcist. And at least there was some character development, and he had some sins and things like that. And I mean, and you guys pointed out earlier that they they were able to exposit some of those things and talk about their past sins and mistakes and stuff like that. And we didn't see those things um, 
in there, but we accepted them because they were because they were like they were confessing and they were talking about this and it added some depth to those characters. But what I like about this movie is that later on you do get to see some of that through the devil's manipulations. They saved the visuals for what they thought that they would be a little bit meaningful later. So we got to see what his girl looked like, you know, though it was through a demon manipulation. Now we could put a face to this woman who he had a relationship with. Um, And and I ain't going to lie. I was kind of like, damn, I don't blame you. Father Escobar, I don't blame you. But still it, it was like, but, but still, Either way, they saved the visuals of that for later to where it was a little more impactful. Same thing with Russell Crowe's sin or his affliction, right? We saw the the one, the patient who killed herself and everything like that. We saw a little bit of that. We saw what that person looked like. We saw a little bit of it. And even though we know it didn't exactly happen this way because this were, these were the demon's manipulations, at least they paid off what was exposited earlier with some visuals. So it felt a little more meaningful in those moments. And that is the mark of, and that is better, a better storyteller, a more skilled writer than what we had in the, um, the, uh, the pray for the devil film. So just another comparative example, you know, I just appreciated some of those, uh, little details. Um, now to some things that I didn't appreciate or didn't like about the movie. I didn't like when we suddenly went Indiana Jones with this movie and suddenly under the house, there's all of this stuff. And you didn't like the catacombs of the devil. Yeah. The catacombs. <laughs> Let's find the key and to open the thing. And the, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and there, yeah, there's a key, and we're going here, and it unlocks this, and now there's a book, and the book tells us the name of the demon, and now we know. See, that's so now what I mean about the, the dramatics demon. getting kicked up. Yeah, yeah, like what the hell was all of that? Like at first, this movie was it, 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 way more practical. It was way more kind of intricate, and it, and it seemed like when it was sticking to being more human. And more kind of, I mean, for lack of a better term, just realistic or I guess believable, I guess would be the best way to put it. It felt like it was in this believable place. Then it just went. And I think that's what you were alluding to earlier, Heather. It goes off the rails in the third act and gets just super over the top with shit. Like, and and like, yeah, it does it in weird ways because you get the random like King's quest elements of go find this item to do this thing that allows you to find this item to give to this person to make sure, Oh, but you ate the pie. Well, you're fucked now. Like it goes into that weird thing (laughs) whilst also ramping up the demonic possession too. Yes. You've got all those elements being ramped up, but then you've got random side quests at the same time. It turns into a Resident Evil game. Like, well, you got to find the blue gem to put in this eye socket and the red gem to find put in this socket to open this door. While the demon is like twisting people around and like possessing multiple people. So it's weird that all that's happening, which would be the super compelling stuff that you would want to see them fight. But no, 
they're going, I like how you put it, Justin, on an Indiana, Indiana Jonesian quest to find <laughs> yeah. the relics of the demon. What if they just stayed upstairs? The fucking demon's doing shit, man. Exactly. Exactly. And like, and I think what got sacrificed was that family because the opportunity to kind of flesh out those characters and develop them more and to make us care more about this family that's involved in this possession and trying to, and figuring out more of them to figure out how the devil or, or how the demon is penetrating them and using that to kind of see if you could kind of counteract what was happening with the, the demon. I wish understanding humans more was the key than finding a literal key. That's what's missing in this yeah. shit. Like that's what's missing in a lot of this shit. We don't understand each other. We don't understand people. Half the time, that is the fucking, that is the true fucking answer. Not some key and a devil's claw or we got to open this book and read this shit. I just wish we stuck to that more sometimes. So, well, uh, and then I I hated that in Italy, they're finding the secret Pope letter in the book that Russell Crowe was also looking in. You're just like, you're going all over the place. What is going on here? Yeah. 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 And, and that's why this movie is at a 52 for us. You know, these are the elements. This is the problems that it has. Now, was it way better than um, pray, big pray for the devil? Yes, it was. But still... It just went kind of crazy narratively um, at the end. And I think they were going for this big third act. They were going for this big kind of finale with everything. And I don't know if this movie needed that. You probably could have just kept it more inward and more of an inner battle and kind of messed around with that and kind of maybe involved the family in it a little bit more. And I think I would have enjoyed it a lot more. They went too, uh, for lack of a better term, Marvel with it. It was too comic booky with the big CGI and we need all the big stuff happening and all this other kind of stuff. We need this big kind of physical battle with the de- with the demon and all of this stuff. And I don't know. I think if some of that stuff was more inward, then I think it would have just made, I mean, they had the inward stuff happening with the sins and stuff like that. But I think it got caught in between having to do this big visual battle uh, at the end. Well, and maybe there was just a balance and the t- there wasn't a balance and the scales kind of tipped. Well, they weirdly went so video, video gamey with it because like I said, it becomes like side quest bullshit, but then also becomes a, well, if we light up these five symbols, we'll beat the demon like with how they're doing that shit at the end and like all this other stuff, it gets so weird. Fifth element style. Yeah. And I think it's, it, it kind of shows that like what is considered the, the Holy grail for lack of a better word of exorcism movies. It's the exorcist. And why? Cause 80% of the movie takes place in a fucking bedroom. Like yeah. it is yeah. just the priest confronting the demon. Like it's, it's that, mm-hmm. that's why it is the best because it's all those things you said, Justin, you focus on those aspects. You're not running around. Oh, let me go to the Vatican library and hunt down a book. Let me, and then while I'm there, I need to find the gold cross of St. Michael. And I need to find this to go beat this demon. No, it's all in a fucking room. 
and they stay yeah. in that room and it's all yeah. happening there. That's why it's the gold standard. That for whatever reason, people don't realize why they can't reach those heights because you're doing all the extra shit. Yeah. You're doing way too much, man. And sometimes less really is more. And, and the thing about this whole thing, like, I, I just think that people get so caught up in the idea of the exorcism and fighting demons and this, that, and the other. But, 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 but ultimately, man, at the end of the day, what is it really about? It's this inner struggle, right? Like, Really, when you break down all of those things, what is it really? It's an inner struggle. It's the 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 struggle against what they call the sinful nature or just what I like to call the battle of yourself, the battle with self, the battle on the inside, your guilt, your things that you don't think you're doing right or these things that bother you about yourself, your lack of confidence, whatever the uh, affliction is a, a lot of it is found within and how you see yourself and then how then your perspective and how you go about in the world and things like that. I just think that if they had kept it more about that, because like there was one part in there where it's, it's father Gabriel, it's father Escobar and it's the other family members. And, you know, he looks at all of them and he's like, yeah, we're going to go in here and we're going to handle this shit. You know, they're kind of got like a squad and they all go into the room to kind of deal with the demon that's happening here. And I just wish that before they did that, the, the, we could have gotten more with the family and dealing with the mother and the daughter and dealing with their quote unquote demons and what they're going through, how everybody was affected by the father's death and, and the mom what she needed to do. I wish it was this whole thing of, I'm going to need all of you guys, but all of you have to be strong. We need to deal with what you guys are, what, with what's going on inside of all of us, or we're not going to be strong enough to handle what's inside the boy because his trauma and what he's going through is, is the biggest one, but we got to deal with our traumas before we try to deal with somebody else's trauma. Well, that, that could have been the way to do this. And you, you also know? could, then you could also make it where it's like the mom is helping him overcome like the possession because she's acknowledging her own trauma and that he's not alone with it and all of those. Yes. Things. So instead of making it a king of hell and having to do all the extra shit, if you just have it be a demon, yeah, do the whole name shit. Like I said, that's, fairly important to it, but have it solved by, by connection and moving through the trauma that allowed him to get possessed and all of those things, instead of it just being becoming a, a thing where you've got to literally go find weapons to fight a demon type of thing, you know, it would have been a more interesting and a more compelling and a better movie if all of that was the case. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, you might, you might hate this comparison, Sterling, but I do think that that's one thing that the conjuring did well about their possession part. They did do the, you got to say the demon's name and she made connection with her to get her to come back. You know what I mean? How so. dare you? <laughs> I just, I had to say it. You brought up elements of the like. The Warrens did nothing right. 
ever. No, but the movie, <laughs> the, the movie did that part right. The movie did. But I will and not I just, separate the two. The movie and I the see. Warrens are all the same. They're all con artists, damn it. Okay. Are you just trying to make enemies of us together tonight? I mean, how are you going to like freaking so. put conjuring on a pedestal and then put parasite in the doves? What are you trying to do right now to your partners? That is you're an exaggeration. You're saying your partners right now. <laughs> I know, Justin. I said earlier you were of the devil. I was wrong. I was deceived. <laughs> I was deceived by deceived. the deceiver. That's what that's what the deceiver that's does. That's what I do best, you know. Yeah. yeah. She's sitting there putting visions of Jastin <laughs> on my iTunes, buying these movies and making me watch them. <laughs> when ultimately it was her. Yeah. Just to get at you, you know. Just no, she, but like <laughs> she's sitting there going, she probably wouldn't watch the Pope's Exorcist in theaters. And she was like, I can't wait to trick Jastin and Sterling. Into thinking it's Justin's idea to watch these movies, so I can drop in there. The Pope's Exorcist and in the and Parasite are the same movie, and that this is on par with The Conjuring in what it does right. I mean, I'm just saying Master the elements Deceiver. that you just described of what they did right about the exorcism is what they did in The Conjuring. I was just making that comparison because of the fact that that was an element from that movie that I also really liked. The fact that it was like, you gotta, you gotta find the demon's name. You know what I mean? And like the whole, yeah, making the connection to bring, bring back the person, I think is a really cool and important element to, to, to go over with this type of thing, especially with this type of this movie specifically. Like you do feel like, obviously they put a kind of a spotlight on the boy's trauma and he hasn't spoken in a year and all of these things and the mom just being so worried about it. Um, they also made it seem like the, the mom and the daughter relationship was going to be a bigger deal in this movie with how they set it up with how, how much they butt heads. And then it just really wasn't much of anything. I think that was meant to be an intentional red herring though. So that you think True. the daughter will be the possessed one? Yeah, yeah. that's fair. You know, because she's rebellious and all of those things. Right. And it's just to give you that false, like, sense of, oh, it's her, but it's actually him type of thing. Yeah. Um, one thing I want to bring up real quick. I know I'm the one that mentioned video games, but there's a weird actual tie to video games with this movie. So in the movie... They're like, oh, that's the church's symbol for the, the Inquisition. And it's like the sword in the eyeball and the little sun thing. That's not the actual Catholic church's symbol for the Inquisition. There's a video game called Dragon Age Inquisition. And there's a faction, the Inquisitors, in that game. That's their symbol. Huh. And... The actual Inquisition symbol for the church is like just a weird circle that's got some writing on it and a cross. Like it's a very boring thing. But yeah, it's apparently so whoever was the set designer or something like that just Googled Inquisition symbol and they <laughs> saw that one and put it in. But that's not actually the church's symbol for the Interesting. Inquisition. Now the, the papal uh, seal is the the crossed keys. That is a real thing, but. Yeah, that's 
a weird thing they get wrong in this movie that is just, like I said, somebody Googled hmm. and Googled wrong. I was going to say, I wonder if there was some kind of like, they couldn't use the real one for some reason. No, they could. Know. You can't copyright okay. something from the 1400s. Yeah, I guess that's true. Especially if you're going to allow them to use the seal of the Vatican. <laughs> like, True. Yeah. But yeah, they just weirdly, no, they just fucked up. Like I said, the set designer or somebody was just Googling shit. Googled it and went, ah, Inquisition symbol. There we go. And then use that. By the way, when they go down there to that little, you know, Indiana Jones quest, also like while the demons doing all the demon stuff, like why was it? I, I would, if I was the mom, I would be like, hey, where's this priest guy? Where did he go? Why isn't he here? I right. really need his help right now. And it was like they didn't even care that they weren't there. Yeah, it was so weird. Like, yeah, they, they weren't even acknowledging that they were there. They weren't calling out for them, anything like that. They're just like, demon, no, go away. Right. Yeah. And all those things just keep this from being like a great movie. Or like a good movie. So it just falls under decent because, you know, it didn't it didn't quite get over that hump, you know, the it, mediocre hump. It just doesn't resolve properly. Yeah. Like it's yeah. Everything it sets up, it resolves in it makes the bad choice at the end. It does a yeah. lot of right things throughout the movie. It's just they made they wanted to make a spectacle of it. They wanted to make it a big, grandiose battle against Osmodius, the king of hell. And it just gets weird because of it. Yeah. And, and and it's just funny because, like, even when you just go and look at just, like, religious practices and stuff, when is it ever a bunch of lights and you fighting? You know what I mean? Like, when is it ever like that? <laughs> when is it ever like a person fighting and all this stuff? It just seems like that's just so Hollywood. Well, you know what I mean? <laughs> just with that, like, when is when are you ever physically fighting something? Yeah, it becomes a physical you know what I mean? fight with the devil, like with a demon. Like, it becomes a physical fight. It's like, you know... It, it weirdly devolves from being a metaphorical or a spiritual battle yeah. to a physical fight with the demon. <laughs> yeah. And so that's just, and it just, it really just, really just lost me there. Like even if there was some way that you could have kind of, I don't, I don't care if they did the whole battle in their head or something, it would have been better than this. I, I just well, think the well, whole yeah. physical struggle even if they had just sat there and they were like meditating or praying or something and the battle was taking place inside of them somehow. I don't know. I just think you, you, we, we got to move past this idea that the demon becomes a big video game boss, like you were saying, <laughs> Sterling, and we have to fight him and hit his weak point with these weapons. I mean, I just, that doesn't happen to anyone. Well, especially because earlier in the movie, you see you see that aspect of their inner battle when they're seeing the visions of the things that are haunting them. And they actually, I liked the way they did that part where it's like, you're seeing what 
either of the fathers is seeing in that moment. And it's their internal struggle, their internal battle. And that's what they probably should have just kept doing here. But it's like they switched up how they were showing this fight that needed to happen. Well, yeah, because they start physically fighting their visions at one point. Like, yeah, I'm like, come on, stop it. Just stop it. Yeah, stop it. You had the right idea. You you just went too. You just <laughs> went too, too far. Yes. Yeah. To me, it felt like they had the screenplay and it was exactly what we're talking about. And somebody went, you know what we need? A demon battle. And they're like, yeah, we have that. <laughs> no, no, no. An actual battle. And they're like, what do you mean? Like, they need to fight the demons. They are. No, no, with fists. Yeah. Like, fist fist yeah. cuffs. Like, I, I've never seen that in an Exorcist movie. And they're like, well, yeah, because it's dumb. And they went, do you want my money? Yeah. Because if you want my money. <laughs> You're putting it in. They're going to fight a demon. <laughs> we fight demons, dog. And they went, oh, I guess. <laughs> yeah. So, and, and then the last thing, but, uh, you know, not to beat a dead horse. And the last thing I'll say is another comparison to uh, Big Prey. Um, At the end, it does a similar thing with the whole, oh, look, there's this big map. And now me and, you know, I'm going to embark on this journey to, try to exercise these demons and things like that. So again, it kind of does a similar thing with the whole leaving it like this is going to be a continuation for this character to go up against these demons. But God, but man, it was just done so much better here. At least they just said something funny. And at least at the end, you had that text that was with the joke with the book and it was kind of funny and, and, and still, like you guys said, fit into the what this character was. Why did we do a Marvel ending at the end of Pray for the Devil? See, like, that was just so stupid compared to this. And if I was to ever watch a sequel to either of these movies, it would be Pope's Exorcist. I would never yeah. want to watch a sequel to Pray for the Devil. It's, yeah. when she's just running around New York City just exercising people on the street. Like, but because it's a dumb idea. Like the way the <laughs> yeah, idea that's they really set dumb. up at the end of that is dumb. That she's just going to yeah. be living her life like sitting in a cafe, and demons are going to walk up to her like it's a fucking yeah. episode of Supernatural. But the Pope's she's the one. It's like you know, there's at least the element of tracking down and being methodical, and making plans, and like, oh, we found this demon. Let's go attack his you know landing spot. There's depth to that. There, there's at least some intrigue of telling a different story or at least a story that works. Like it, it, it just comes about it in a separate way. Plus I like the balls they had with how they did it because it's like, they're implying that they can make a Pope's exorcist 200. Where it's like the 200th time that he's going up against the final fallen angel. Like there's just something weirdly like, like brave or courageous about predicting like we could go to 200 of these. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That, that is quite some uh, confidence there. And I mean, and, and if you ever heard like some newsreel or some cinema news and it was like, there's going to be a spinoff series of father Gabriel and 
Father Escobar, and they're going to go on these adventures trying to exercise these demons and help these families and people and stuff like that. You might be more inclined. You might be like, huh, well, you know what? I'll watch an episode or two of that, see what, how Russell Crowe and them attack this thing. I would I would watch the first couple of episodes of that just out of, you know, th- I can at least say that, like you're saying, Sterling, I can at least say that about this movie. If I found out that was coming out, I would watch the first couple of episodes. I'd watch yeah. the pilot and see, like, how it's going with that. You couldn't get me to watch any series about Anne Wick. Sister Anne. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Anne Wick. <laughs> yeah, Anne Wick. Yeah, that's I mean, a good one. The thing is, to go back to Russell Crowe a little bit, it just kind of showed once again how good he was because he had chemistry with everybody in this movie. Everybody. Yeah. He had chemistry with yeah. everyone in this movie. There's none. There is zero chemistry with anybody. Even the character that is her daughter, when they're having that conversation about nougat. That, and that's meant to show that she's, you know, that her her nature with people and all these other things. There was zero chemistry in that. But then Russell Crowe has it with everybody. Just everybody. With the nuns that he orders a cappuccino or a double espresso from. He has chemistry with them. Yeah. yeah. And it's just, yeah, and that's why he would be willing to see that because... He especially has chemistry with, yeah, was it Father Escobar? They do have chemistry together, you know? Yeah, they do. And, yeah, so you would want to see that again. So if they do, like, a mini series or something like that, you're right, Jesse, you'd want to watch it because you're like, you know you're going to get something good out of that. Yeah. You know? And just pray for the devil you don't because there's no chemistry anywhere. So unless it's just her fighting a bunch of demons and literally no other characters, like you might as well have that because that's the chemistry she'll have. Nobody. <laughs> so don't even hiring. Don't even bother hiring anybody. If anything, it could be a video game where she's just like, how many people can you go and exercise to get to the end goal or whatever? She's just like, running around throwing crosses yeah. at people. Just, you know, demon, go away. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Like, the funny thing is, is she's supposed to have chemistry with that other, that priest. Because they're supposed to imply that, like, if they weren't, you know, a priest and a nun, they'd fuck. They try to set that up by them giving each other glances. At no point do you believe that to be true. <laughs> well, like uh, she has such little there. like charisma I don't think she actually fucked anybody to have a child <laughs> I think that's all a lie I mean Russell Crowe had more chemistry with the mom oh, in the movie Russell than they Crow did fucks in this movie I know he's a priest <laughs> and he's not supposed to he fucks he gets it <laughs> I mean, I totally get it in that movie. I thought Russell Crowe and that other priest were going to fuck in this movie. Because they do have chemistry. I thought these were going to fuck. That's the sequel I want to see, too. (laughs) Well, there you go, Hollywood. You heard it here. Fix it. 
retcon it. They fuck. Fix it. <laughs> you guys got any more thoughts on these two movies? Identical movies? Uh, no. <laughs> no. On that note, thank you guys for listening to this episode of the Cinema Slayers Podcast. Check us out on the internet at www. I said way too many W's. Uh, www. <laughs> uh, podcast on Facebook, Cinema underscore Slayers on Twitter and Instagram, Cinema Slayers Pod on TikTok, at Cinema Slayers Pod on YouTube. Uh, give us a five star rating and review. We'd really appreciate it. Really help us out. Shout out to Plug Migo and Mundo Ochoa for our theme song and logos, respectively. Tell your family. Tell your friends, tell your friends, family, tell your family's friends. And most of all, tell those dear sweet mothers because dear sweet mothers love. Silly Russell Crowe. Damn Skippy. Remember here at Simba Slayers Podcast, we are both pro slut and pro Sydney. And as I always end the podcast, the YouTube videos and the TikToks. According to Justin, Moon Knight is a best picture winner. I succeeded. You? I didn't tell anybody to remember it this time. <laughs> Just to remember you you never remember to say pro Burger King. You never remember to say Cinema Slayers, <laughs> especially Jason and Child Heather, are pro Burger King. Cinema Slayers. I said exactly I what I meant to say, Jason. <laughs> I thought he was going to say something about we're pro Russell Crowe now or something. Pro Crow. We could be Pro Pro Crow. <laughs> we just keep adding on to it. No, no, we don't need to. Because, yeah, Justin. Russell Crow uh, looks I, like he eats at Burger King. Russell Crow, I bet he likes BK. We <laughs> do not body shame here, sir. <laughs> no, sir. <laughs> Especially not Russell Crow. <laughs> we will not shame like that. You apologize to that man, sir. You apologize <laughs> right now. Did you did you blur yourself out on purpose? Because that was great timing. He's he said there oh, like, like like it's witness protection. I jumped up. Like he doesn't yeah. want to, he doesn't want Russell Crowe to know he said that. Like he, he does not want like him to know the he insulted shame. him. I gotta go away now. Yeah. Man. If I, I blur myself, Russell Crowe won't know that I insulted him like that. <laughs> no, I just blurred in disbelief. Because I can't believe you guys don't think <laughs> that he likes BK, where he can have it his way. Russell you, looks like a man one, that wants it his he way. He is Australian, Justin. They don't even have Burger Kings in Australia. What is it? They Hungry don't? Jacks? Is that what it's yes, called? Yes, they have Something? Hungry Jacks. They are not Burger Kings. They are Hungry Jacks. So if anything, oh. he enjoys Hungry Jacks, which is an infinitely better restaurant in name alone than fucking Burger King. You go to Burger King out of desperation and pity. You go to Hungry Jack's when you're hungry. <laughs> Man, come on, dude. That's not fair. And, it, and and that doesn't even go well with the theme song. And Hungry Jack, have it your way. See, it just doesn't work. It's got to be BK. Do you know why, Justin? Because Hungry huh. Jacks doesn't need shitty little theme songs to want you to maybe think about eating at their restaurant in 20 years. People just go there and eat because it's a respectable establishment. Burger King needs jingles 
for you to think about when you don't eat there. <laughs> have we have we all in a way been like of the devil tonight? <laughs> I feel like we have. I haven't. Oh. Uh, I mean, I think in Jason's mind you might have been. No. Cuz that's not anything. I mean, all right, we'll solve it real quick. Hey Jason, since last week, have you eaten a burger king? <laughs> exactly. The He tried. He Enough tried to said. have an answer for it, though. Enough said. <laughs> it's on the schedule. It's the You're remodeling scale. To to Burger King. In 2029, I'm going to totally eat at a Burger King. I promise. The remodeling. I'm waiting on that remodel, BK, so I can have. Is that the way. only? <laughs> is that the only Burger King in Midland, Justin? It's the only one that I'm one. willing to go to. <laughs> Why? Because it's closed? <laughs> it's the only one I'm willing to go to. <laughs> but it is one. definitely your favorite. It's definitely your favorite. <laughs> I like, I like Justin. I like how your ideal Burger King is like the anti-Whataburger. It's always closed. <laughs> closed 24-7. Exactly my way. That's why Jason loves Burger King. Is his ideal Burger King is always closed, and that's the exact way he wants his Burger King. They are giving it to him his way. <laughs> I just, I really enjoy driving by it. Shouldn't that be enough? See, the funny thing is, Jason, is you could just shut me up one week by actually eating Burger King between episodes. <laughs> And you still won't even do that. I don't you think so. Have twisted so. your logic when it comes to albatrosses versus bears, any number of things. You've straight up compared Wolverine to the mythology and story of Icarus in importance. But you won't even go eat at the restaurant you say and claim is your favorite. You won't th- even do it. <laughs> I think my favorite, though, is when he's like, that's the only one I'm willing to go to. <laughs> like, it's your favorite place to go, but you're only willing to go to the one that's, that's near not you. even open. <laughs> that was funny. <laughs> I do think it's I do think it's funny. You claim Burger King is your favorite. Yet your willingness to eat there is the same as mine. Yes. Why can't I have a favorite something that I don't eat? What's wrong with that? What's wrong with having a favorite a favorite burger I don't eat? What's wrong with having a favorite movie I don't watch? What's wrong with having it? Justin, your Gotta version of Burger way, King, your favorite yeah. version of Burger King is the same like as my favorite picture of me without a beard in the last eleven years. They don't exist. It does. <laughs> oh man, leave me alone. Just saying. We're gonna keep a running tally, Justin. Every week, I'm gonna ask when if you ate a Burger King yet. We're gonna see how many weeks it takes you to get there. Please don't Whoa, count. What? <laughs> 
we're on what four weeks now of you not eating Burger King, even though it's your favorite. Please don't count it. Oh, we're counting. All right. If they I'm just out. open some more of them up. <laughs> no. I'm out again. <laughs>